So you, I, I, this is amazing. We might as well open up with it. There's, I'm reading Twitter last night, and all of a sudden I'm thumbing through my Twitter, and there's a picture of you with Tim Cook at a uh, Maple Leafs game. Yeah. I mean, I was as surprised as anybody. Well, how the hell did that happen? Uh, so I I didn't know. I was just like I thought there was going to be just you know some briefing. And Apple does a lot of these, and you do them too. Like maybe they would announce there like something about Hour of Code, or it's it, they're going to do a French version, or they're going to have Canadian specific content or something. I had no idea. Um, and then I see the, the the Globe and Mail says Tim Cook is in Canada for a code, and he just dropped by. Like he does this, they don't announce it. Um, I'm guessing for security reasons, but you know, also because it's Apple and it's all about surprise and delight. He uh, he just crashed the code session at the Apple Store, and you know, people love that kind of stuff. And he did a couple of interviews while he was there. And I'm like, oh, if I'd have known, I would have gone. I mean, it's not that far. It would have been awesome. I'm like, oh, too bad. Um, but then I was supposed to do do this meeting later, and then they were very quiet about it. And eventually, I just got a call saying, you know, come here, do this, do that. And then, okay, Tim's here. And I just like, okay, wow. Um, And he was watching the Leafs game. He was sitting down there with um, one of the Hockey Night in Canada announcers, former hockey player, just enjoying the show. And then he came up and said hi to some of the Apple people there. And then, you know, I was was towards the the back of the line and then eventually got a chance to say hi to him as well. (laughs) That is, uh, that's amazing. Who won the game? Uh, the Maple Leafs did not win the game. The team formerly known as the Quebec Nordique, which I think now use some weird name like the Colorado Avalanche one. Hmm. <laughs> Amer- Americans take a lot of Canadian teams and make them super successful, so we're a little bit bitter. All right. So um, it's a good thing. It's funny because I originally was going to try to record this with you yesterday, which was yep. Monday the 22nd of uh, January. And instead we had to push it back till today, the 23rd. Uh, and in the meantime, <laughs> you, you went to a hockey game with Tim Cook <laughs> and Apple, uh, can I say finally, I believe, I, I believe yeah. I'm the arbiter of finalies of appropriate yes. finalies. And I'm going to, I'm going to give this a, uh, I'm going to give this uh, a finally plus a pending finally. They've finally announced uh, that HomePod is com- w- w- when it's coming out and what the schedule is. Uh, orders start this coming Friday, uh, probably a few days after this episode lands, and it will start shipping two weeks after that on February the 9th. And I guess it will be in retail stores at the same time too. Presumably, I mean, presumably there there <laughs> will be. Uh, reviews in between as we record and February 9th, but, but I don't know anything about that yet. No. Um, and we can't even draw upon AirPods because those, I mean, they originally planned to get those out earlier and they seeded them and then they didn't get it out. And yeah, yeah. 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 That was so. weird. Cause we got, pristi- it, it is funny. And I, I, I'll, we'll come back to that because it, the more we learn about HomePod, the more it really does kind of seem like, airpods as speakers um yes and that's it, exactly the way i would describe it and it's similar even down to the fact of being late <laughs> <laughs> um but one difference is that when airpods were on the cusp of shipping a year ago um did you get a the pre-release pair yes i, I don't think that I, yeah, yeah i think they were seated pretty liberally um uh we got pre-release airpods that 
in my experience using them was indistinguishable <laughs> from the final mm-hmm. ones. Although I think maybe, although I don't know if it was a hardware thing or, or subsequent software things. I, as much as I loved them right from the first day with the prototypes, I have to say that now, a year later, I think they're even more reliable than before. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they were very serious about those being prototypes, and when they shipped the shipping ones, they they, they wanted those prototypes back in the mail the next day. It was the only <laughs> review product I've ever gotten from Apple where there was any hint of pressure of send it back right now. It's like I wondered if there was like it, maybe it didn't use lithium ion, maybe it used kryptonite as the battery just to make it work. I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the demeanor was always Apple friendly. You know, it was always you know it wasn't like they sent the brute squad. You know, <laughs> big angry people to come collect them. But it was it was you know <laughs> get them in the mail. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea why. Yeah. Um, well, I think just in general, Apple is one of those companies that they don't want pre-release stuff out there because yeah. you never know what's going to happen to it. So who knows what the difference is? I think that because these are a little bit uh, le- less of a just a, you know, it, there is some similarities to AirPods, but I don't think I don't, I'm not surprised that they didn't seed prototype HomePods outside the company. Yeah, although they did a huge seeding of prototype uh HomePods inside the company. I have heard the same thing, that it was yeah. a pretty widespread uh, internal seating amongst employees. Um, and you know, and I guess, probably in geographies beyond what they've already announced. Yeah, and, and I think that – doesn't that go all the way back to the big um, – on the eve of the iPhone ten and iPhone eight announcement, yeah. the um, – it was a HomePod firmware – update that leaked a bunch of details yep. like the name iphone with a capital x that we didn't know how to pronounce um it was a home pod release and i guess the reason that that was even possibly on an over the you know a, a public to the world server was that they were already at the time seated widely within the company to yep. people to use it home absolutely all right so the that's the dates the price is the same uh I don't think we learned much more about the functionality from the updated product page. Uh, but my pending, finally, is that uh, in some <laughs> very small print, not one of the headlines, uh, the, the iPod or the HomePod announcement also included the news that AirPlay 2 will be coming later this year. And what that means uh, for HomePod early adopters is that... Uh, at least three of the promised features will have to wait until AirPlay 2 ships. Those are, yeah. uh, first, it, the ability to buy two HomePods, put them in the same room, and have them coordinate with each other to work in stereo, um, which I believe they, they demoed that for us back at WWDC, right? I'm not misremembering that. Yeah. I seem to no, recall. absolutely. They had two of them. So I'm confused about the stereo part of this. So, And maybe it's because I'm completely ignorant about audio. But the way that it works is it uses computational audio to sort of model the room and then project sound into different parts of it. So the, the way that you traditionally think about stereo is if you want sound on the left, you have to have a speaker on the left. If you want sound on the right, you have to have a speaker on the right, where this projects and bounces sound to all different parts of it. So the stereo thing doesn't doesn't seem to 
fit for me. And I know Apple is using the word. And I just wonder, like, originally my understanding was you'd put more HomePods to fill bigger areas that, you know, because it's a speaker, it's still got limited range. And if you wanted a, a bigger room, you'd put two. If you wanted an even bigger room, you'd put three. Yeah. But when we talk about stereo, I just I wonder maybe it's cleaner because you don't have to do the bouncing or, or the sort of trickery or the magic to get the sound in different parts, and you can more clearly isolate them. So maybe it's a better stereo or or surround experience with multiple HomePods. Yeah, I um, that's actually interesting. And l- linguistically, I'd never th- I've I, I had the exact same thought, Renee. And I'm wondering if it'll be possible if they say two, but if if like you're saying, like once AirPlay two comes out, could you get three or four to fill like a sufficiently big? Room. I asked, and and they they just said like if you really want to, it should. And I don't know if this has changed or if I'm remembering it wrong. But my understanding right. was you could put several of them in, and it would just figure it out. But that most people would never right. need to put that many in one room. Right, and and I do think it's you know again, it's often best to take Apple in its most obvious way. The name yeah. is HomePod, so it's not you know these things aren't meant for like a commercial you know a big commercial space that would be bigger than what someone would typically consider a home. stadium pod right <laughs> um but it is interesting i've always thought of stereo the word stereo like you just said like just left and right literally left not just two but left and right yeah. and uh but now that i think about it as like a, a word nerd it's not it, the root isn't like duo or something you know it's not duophonic and so i'm looking up stereo here and the dictionary word the first one is sound that is directed through two or more speakers so that it seems to surround the listener and come from more than one source, stereophonic sound. Um, but if you scroll down to just the com- just the, the prefix stereo as a combining form, this makes more sense. Relating to solid forms having three dimensions, stereography. So, I, you know, I, I think in theory you could have more than two and it would yeah. just figure it out. And I think even when you do have only two, I think it will be a lot more a lot less about left and right and a lot more about how best to make it sound like the music is coming from as many sources as possible, you know, right. instrument Better sources. Better making that 3d model. Right. The room. Yeah. Right. Oh, I think it's, sense. yeah, I think thinking of it as 3d as is makes more sense as to how the two will coordinate than left, right. Yeah. Right. And it's almost like left, yeah. right literally is just two dimensional, you know, whereas it's really more about three dimensional. And I seem to recall that from the demo. I mean, what I recall, I mean, and, you know, this is, geez, what was that, like eight months ago? Um, yeah, June 2017. I remember Early that June. it sounded good, and almost most of the demo was, here's a song, we'll play it on the, uh, on one, you know, the single home pod, then we'll play it on the, what was it, a Sonos thing, yeah. and then we'll play it on the little set of Amazon tin cans. Uh <laughs> Well, the Amazon thing really came off looking bad in that demo. I mean, it really... I, I mean, was in with, like, as much as, like, I, I don't know music, but I was in with Dalrymple, which was hugely informative for me because he, you know, he is, uh, I, I don't know what the right, but he is, like, zealous, almost angry right. about the quality of his music. And we were, and they showed us, like, they played normal songs and they played some live recordings. Uh, and if, as little as I know or appreciate sound, I have Sonos at home. I've had it for years. I'm all in on Sonos. It was way better than Sonos for almost all the songs. I think one of it, it sounded mm-hmm. about as good as Sonos. But it, the live stuff and some of the other stuff, it sounded just as good. And it, it totally, it, it, rightfully so, because the Amazon really it was a speaker second and a voice in first. But it yeah. totally embarrassed the Echo. Yeah, I th- I'm an interesting contrast to Jim because I'm... 
not that I don't care about audio, but I really just, I just don't think I have good ears for it, you know, and I'm not Same. musical at all. I, I like music, you know, certain, you know, certain types of music. Yeah. Um, but it's a much more, as opposed to like the, my opinions on, let's say a TV, you know, the way a TV set looks, <laughs> you know, I have very, very strong opinions about every regard. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but as a as a casual music fan, that was, that, I would have to look back at my notes. But as I recall, that was my take exactly. There was one song where I didn't feel like I could Pepsi challenge the and prefer the the HomePod over Sonos. I would call it. I would have called it a draw. But every other yeah. one, I felt confident that even as a as you would say a punter, uh, that I I would. I would. I thought the HomePod sounded better. And anyway, at the end of the demo, then it was like, "Here's the one more thing of the little demo." I think it was always with. It was like groups of like four and five at a time yep. in, a, in a sort of living room size space. At uh, I was going to say Moscone, but of course it's not called Moscone. What's that place called? Yeah, San Jose. Um, the San I'm Jose name too. San Jose Mouthful Convention Center. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, there was, you know, typically it's just the Apple formula. It's like, here's the one more thing. If you have a second one, you can do this. And it was like, here's what this song sounds like with one home pod and it sounded pretty good. And I remember when the second one kicked in, it, it did sound better and it did sound it fuller, almost fuller. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what it, I remember the noticing the difference with the Sonos. And again, I've used Sonos for years. I have a ton of their stuff is it just sounded richer and deeper and more like like more of an emotional experience. Yeah. Um, and then when the second one came on, it was just written, just even better. It was just fuller. Yeah. It's like, I have, I know it's like somehow I know when I come into, uh, you know, somebody's house and they're playing music or movies or something and, or you're in a bar or something and, and you hear it, you could, there's a certain part of me that can detect, Hey, this is a serious sound system. I can't explain why. Like, I can't tell you, what it is, I can just tell there's somebody put some money into this thing. And yeah. that's absolutely what it sounded like with the two home pods. Yeah, uh, totally. It's like when you see, you go in and you hear someone listening to a sound bar as opposed to you hear them listening to a 5.1 or 7.1 surround yeah. system yeah. that's been properly set up. Um, still, though, lots and lots of uh, unanswered questions about home pod, yeah. in my opinion. Um, you know, which. I hope we'll get before it ships, but which I don't think we're going to get before pre-orders open, which leads to the interesting dilemma, uh, probably <laughs> for an awful lot of people who are listening to us on this show of, do you wait until you find out more before you spend $350 on this thing? Or do you buy in advance, hoping that the answers will either be good or, uh, uh, or do you take your chances that maybe if you wait until you do get the answers that that it won't be back ordered <laughs> for four months or something like that, right? Because yeah. that's no, the dance you have to play. I was just joking about that on Twitter. It seems like every time Apple announces something, Twitter starts saying how stupid Apple is and how stupid the product is. And then when they ship it, uh, Twitter starts talking about how stupid it is that they can't order it immediately. Yes. <laughs> like that's like the seventh stage of the Twitter. Yeah. You never know. And Apple, you know, it, it talking about things like, hey, this is going to be uh, in short supply isn't really what people who know talk about even off the yeah. record. But my gut feeling is that it may not be back ordered like so – certainly not like AirPods were for most of the year last year 
Um, well, it's so restricted. Like AirPods were an international product. This is only launching in the US, Australia, and the UK right now, and then sometime this spring in France and Germany. So it's a much smaller market for them to service. Well, and the other thing that I have heard, and I th- suspect you've probably heard similar, is that the hardware was way ahead of the software on this. And that it, I think if it weren't for software, this would have shipped as promised in calendar year 2017. Totally. And people immediately blame Siri, but Siri kit shipped for the Apple TV last, sorry, for the HomePod last fall. Uh, AirPlay 2 is still not fully out. Yeah. And it, you know, so certainly the the development of AirPlay 2 is one factor because they were originally uh, planning to, you know, it, features that were advertised as this is going to be in this thing by the end of the year were based on AirPlay 2. So given that AirPlay yeah. 2 still isn't out, the 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 delay, you know, whatever's the delay of AirPlay 2 is certainly one reason. I suspect that there are others. I, I don't know. Just some things. I've, I don't know anything else specific. But but I, do, I, I heard multiple times, though, that it's the software, not the hardware. Yeah. And I've heard multiple times, too, that it's not. I mean, uh, there is a legitimate complaint to be made that Siri... I mean, we could back up a little bit. Apple's been working on this for years. And when I look at an Apple product, I try to figure out what problem is Apple trying to solve with this. And it looked, at least I think to Apple, it looked like we don't have a solution for you. You have all this Apple Music stuff you have, and you just can't drop something in. And it's sort of what the iPod Hi-Fi was trying to solve as well. And we want to give people a way to just buy something that's Apple-designed and that is incredibly simple to just drop into your room, and it sounds really, really great. And it's easy to set up, as easy as AirPods. AirPods shipped earlier. As easy as AirPods to ship up. We have that technology, and we, you know, we've done computational photography. We can do computational audio. Um, and in that light, sort of the Siri stuff is secondary. Like AirPods are controlled through Siri, and they can access the vast catalog of Siri things. But that's a convenience. It's, it's the best way to interface with that product. And HomePod is the same. It's interesting. Like it can do Siri stuff. It's controlled with Siri, and you might as well use it to control HomeKit and to do those things. But it really, it really was an audio solution. It really was a speaker that Apple spent a lot of time yeah. and put an incredible amount of technology into making. A lot of people have been asking me today, um, what do I think the reason is for the software delay? What's yeah. the re- And I, I, I don't know. I don't have any inside information on anything specifically other than obviously AirPlay 2 is taking longer. But yeah. why is it AirPlay 2 taking longer? I, I, that's the nature of software. I mean, software projects often take longer, sometimes a lot longer than you thought they would. Even when what you thought they would, you multiplied by 2x because you think, well, here's how long I think it'll take. I'll multiply it by 2 because it always takes me twice as long as I think. And you still come up short. It's just I think the best way to describe it without like – well, I think the best way to describe it is let's say you wanted to ship the – iPad, the iMac Pro, and you put that that T2 chip in, and in the process of setting up T2, you realize that there was a a web of of authentication stuff that had been built up over the years, but had some architectural issues that that you'd never taken the time to go back and fix, but were now problematic to get that product to ship. Now, that did not happen with with the iMac Pro. We did get, you know, the ridiculous root blank stuff that surfaced but nothing to stop the product and i think this is similar like in making airplay too they hit some things that that were just long 
yep. long existing issues in the code that they never needed to address before. And in order to make this work, they had to go back and address them. And they've addressed it to the point where it functions now, but it's not at the point yet where all of those features are available. Yeah. And either going back to fix things that you didn't think would be so hard to fix or solving yeah. new problems that you didn't, and you know, that some step along the way was a lot harder than you thought it was going to be, or some step along the way of solving this new problem, you you go down a dead end and have to go back because it actually doesn't work. I mean, that's it, it, software is like it, it's a lot like writing, and, and to me, it's always often very similar to the idea, you know, that it, it's like being a lawmaker, you know, uh, like trying to, you know, when you when lawmakers write laws, they hopefully. Uh, should take mm-hmm. take their time and write them in a way that it's very clear what is yeah. and is not against the law. Um, but if you think like you've got you know we've got uh, here's an MP, MPEG three audio file and we want it to go through this speaker over the air in a certain way over a certain protocol and have certain things happen to analyze the music. And then come out of these tweeters in this base in this way, you know, Yeah, that's not fully thought out. That's just an outline. And as you fill that in to actually make it completely thought out, that's the actual programming, right? It's never actually fully thought out until the programming is complete. And so you never know when you're going from the plan for the software to the actual software where you're going to hit a point that is way tougher, trickier, takes longer than you thought it would. Yeah. And to, and the requirements, like we've all experienced issues with AirPlay and with core audio that are mildly annoying when you're just trying to, you know, project your video or record something, but that would be absolute deal breakers if the product had to be rock solid, reliable streaming audio right. all the time. And that yeah. just can't ship that way. Like you've got to go back and fix all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm not making excuses for them. It does look bad. You know, that's something that they were promised that, that they promised to ship by the end of 2017 in June. Now in January is later 2018. Uh, I mean, it could be pushing up for all we know, it could be pushing up against, um, WWDC again. Yeah. Um, I would guess it's, that it's it, better than shipping it because if if they shipped it and it didn't right. work, that would be even worse. Right. I, I, that's what I don't get. Like I'm not saying Apple it, it comes. You know, I'm not making excuses for them. I'm just yeah. explaining what I tried to explain what the situation is. Uh, and you know, you, you could say that you know you could be mad at them if you want, and you can say that this is a worrisome sign that you know maybe the company is slipping. It's not like it used to be, even though <laughs> I can name a long list of products that shipped late. Uh, yeah. I was just telling, pointing out that earlier this week on an article I wrote that, you know, like from the this wouldn't have happened under Steve Jobs crowd. Steve Jobs was there when the white iPhone four shipped ten yep. months late. <laughs> it was almost a full year after the black version shipped, I, which I remember distinctly when, because my wife was like, "You know what? I'm going to get the white one." <laughs> And no, I, I had the same experience. It, it, there is all, it's all, we should make like a name for this law, but whenever someone says Steve Jobs would never, almost certainly he did at some point right. or was involved in the decision-making process that led to the product you think Steve would never have let Apple make. Yeah, it's a lot like there's always a Trump tweet 
for whatever. You know, like with this government shutdown that we had here in the U.S. last weekend, there were all these uh, – the last time that the, the gov- U.S. federal government shut down, Trump was on TV and on Twitter uh, reiterating one message, which is that no matter what, the, sh- the a government shutdown is always the fault yeah. of the president. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, it, it, it's absolutely true. And it's – I would just rather people stop making that argument because you never right. look good in hindsight. Right. But anyway, it's, you know, it, it is what it is. But the interesting yeah. dilemma, as you alluded to, is you wish that there were no delay. You wish everything was all ready and, you know, the thing had shipped before Christmas and AirPlay 2 is bug-free and solves all the AirPlay problems. Uh, but that didn't happen. Well, so, it would have been better for Apple because the co- the competitive market is much different now than it was when Apple first yep. announced it. Um, there were there were no products, as far as I can remember, that were doing multi personal assistance. Like they would they would do voice ID and try to figure out different people. There was no Google Home Max. There was no product that really had a good speaker attached yep. to a good assistant. And in the months since the product has been delayed, many like Google put that service online, Amazon put that service online. They're both producing better speakers now. Yep. So Apple's entering a market much later with a much earlier product than they would have liked. Yeah. But so given where they are as of, you know, late December, 2017 with hardware that is apparently ready to go and software that was, could be made ready to go modulo airplay two, therefore missing some features in the meantime, what do you do if it's your decision to make the call? Do you wait, make the whole product wait until airplay two is ready or do you ship what you have and whip, you know, crack the whips on the AirPlay 2 team to get it out as soon as you can. I, I think, I think I, that team has slept since before Christmas. I think I would have I would have made, if it was up to me, I would have made the same decision Apple has made and ship yeah. it now. I mean, we'll see once I get the product. I mean, you know, maybe the thing's a disaster. But, you know, assuming that it's everything that they are saying it will do right out of the box on day one works, I think it's worth shipping. I think, you know, uh, I think there's absolutely. a benefit to shipping both hardware and software for an indie one person creative shop or the world's most profitable corporation. Shipping is, you, you, you know, it's good. And waiting for perfection, yep. you know, can lead you to very long delays. You can't ship a product that doesn't perform its basic function, which I think was why Apple delayed it to begin with. Like it's got to be rock solid in terms of being a speaker. Once that happens, if it's missing a few of the more advanced features, it's not ideal, but you can ship it and get it in people's hands um, and see. And that's one of the things with Apple. And, you know, Johnny Ive has said this, that they don't really believe they understand their own products until they get them to the hands of the customers, because often the reaction to them informs where Apple takes them. And this gets that into people's hands. they're, They're late to market, but they're not as late as they would be if they kept it off market until airplay 2 is finished so i think it's it's the best situation they can do right now boy is that is isn't the best example of that ever the apple watch where yeah it's so there's so much more clarity in apple's direction of it starting a year after it came out uh you know focusing it on notifications and fitness yeah, and absolutely. And, you know, reliability. I mean, some of the stuff like the fact that the first one was so slow. Well, duh, everybody. I mean, Apple knew that. I mean, uh, honestly, it's probably the only product I've ever seen in history where I, you know, during the product briefings, I was, I was, a, they apologized for how slow it was. Yeah. And it I was mean, operating at the thermal limits of that casing at the time. Right. Uh, anyway, we're sorry. That's so slow. Um, yeah. It, but that's really true for Apple Watch. Um, 
All right, let's take a break. But when we come back, I want to talk about HomePod versus in the competitive landscape, which you just alluded to about what, and especially the post-June competitive landscape, which really is different. Um, But first, (laughs) do you know what's a fun thing to do on the internet? I'll tell you what's a fun thing to do on the internet is buy a mattress. Casper is a company who makes products that are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. And they make it so easy to buy a mattress or any of their other sleeping products. Um, Look, you spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. It really is uh, getting a nice bed and and a comfortable mattress is money so well spent, really is. Um, the experts at Casper, they work tirelessly to make a quality sleep surface that cradles your natural geometry in all the right places. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with just the right amount of sink and bounce as a breathable design keeps you cool, regulates your body temperature through the night. And they have over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google. Now, maybe, you know, you say, well, maybe on their own site, you can't really take that. You can't fake those Amazon reviews, really. Um, it really is a popular product. I know a lot of people who've bought them, they advertise on a bunch of podcasts. Uh, you know, it's, it's the like I said up front, it's a gimmick now. It's almost like a joke buying mattresses on the internet, but it's a real deal. It really is. Um, they now offer two other types of mattresses, the Wave and the Essential. The Wave features a patent-pended premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. The Essential has a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. And they also offer a wider array of, array of other products like pillows and sheets, anything you need for your, uh, as they call it, your sleep experience. Super convenient, affordable prices because Casper cuts out the middleman. They have hassle-free returns if you're not completely satisfied. I've gotten a couple of emails. They've been sponsoring the show for so long. I've gotten a couple of emails from people who said, you know what? I listened to your show. I bought a Casper. I actually didn't like it. Uh, and the one thing I did, I got like two or three of these over the years from, from people who said, you know, the most amazing thing is the one thing I just didn't, didn't believe is that it really would be easy to send it back. And it really was. And they thought that was great. They were like, so it's a mattress. I, I wound up not keeping it, but I super impressed with the company because they made it easy to return. Um, and inside the U S they have free shipping and free returns. Uh, you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's hundred night risk free sleep on it trial. We've got some Casper mattresses here in the house. We love them. They're, they're, they're really great. Uh, you get 50 bucks towards your select mattress by visiting casper.com slash the talk show. And using the code the talk show at checkout, terms and conditions reply. Uh, so that's fifty bucks off the mattress of your choice. Casper.com slash the talk show and that code the talk show. My thanks to Casper for their continuing support of the talk show. A lot of people out there sleeping on internet mattresses, Renee. I, I've been using Casper for years. I absolutely adore it. Competitive landscape. So yeah. Two thing I can think of two things in this regard. One, and you alluded to this, the audio quality of some of the competing products has gotten better since since June. Um, at two, and I think this is the more important one, is 
that the competing products, which I think it's safe to say are primarily from Google and Amazon, right? It's Google and Amazon. Yeah, Microsoft has Cortana speakers, but they're not a thing, really. I, I never hear anybody talking about it. Yeah. Uh, the other ones, the Google and Amazon ones, are sort of assistant first, audio quality second. And I always say, this is like maybe one of the top three themes of my entire body of work is that the order of your priorities matters tremendously. Like it's not enough to say that you want something, you know, if we want it to be uh, well-designed and uh, high quality. Yeah. Well, if you want it to be high quality and well-designed, you might end up with a different product just by, just by taking those two things and putting them in a different order, right? Like you might, you know, if, if the highest quality, like durability is more important then the elegance of the design, you might end up with something that's a little thicker, uses different materials, et cetera. Even though those are two, some, two priorities that uh, might go hand in hand in many ways, yeah. a subtle difference in order makes a difference. Absolutely. And for some people, the people that Apple chooses not to compete in usually is the people for whom uh, cheap or, or the low price or right. the, you right. know, is, the, is the most important feature. Right. And that certainly is going to be true in this regard because yeah. one of the most – right off the top, you can't miss it – differences is that these other devices are sort of in the – hovering around the $150 range. And, you know, Amazon has the little pucks uh, – that I, I mean, they give them away with some things. I think they're going to start paying you soon to take. Them. Right, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. free. But you said this so well with the AirPods. It's <laughs> like because people complained about the price there too, because they were comparing them to traditional headphones or traditional Bluetooth headphones or headphones that they thought sounded better. But it it was not at all about the sound. It was about the technology from right. the W one chip to the sensors. That was expensive components. And if Apple could have charged less for it, I think they would have, because that was not a product they wanted to make margin. On. That was a product they wanted to uh, create market for. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagine. I've suddenly imagined a a idiocracy like uh, near future where Amazon has flooded the world with free <laughs> Echo Pucks with free offers, and everywhere you go, you yeah. goddamn things are like, would you <laughs> would you like some paper towels? Hey, you can want you turn on my lights? Sure, we can turn on your lights. We could also order you three more. And have you, would you like a coupon for your morning coffee? Do you need more trash bags? <laughs> no, I mean, like that, so that's the other thing here is that um, privacy and security are also a feature. I know a lot of people just kind of lump all these products together. And I, I've said this before, like I really don't I, – I, I don't want – a Google speaker or an Amazon speaker in my house. And famously, every year I buy like whatever the new Nexus or the new Pixel is, and I still can't use Google Assistant because the first thing it does is say, can we monitor all your app and web activity? And I say no. And it says, well, then you can't use Google Assistant. And that's a lie. I could absolutely use it. They don't need that to give me right. basic, like to say, turn on my lights or something. But that's the deal. Like they don't want you to pay with money. They don't want you to pay with time. They want you to pay with attention and with data. And I, I would rather not. Um, and with Apple, Yes, in, in some ways it's similar, but the way Apple treats my data and the way that it, it, it runs its business makes me feel more secure in having an Apple speaker in my house. And I'm willing um, – if I am paying a premium, I want to I see everything about it before I say that. But even assuming I am paying a premium, to go back to your point about the order of priorities, that's a high-level priority for me. Yeah, and it seems to me very clear 
quickly. And we'll see. You know, I could be wrong, but it seems very clear that the number one priority of HomePod, at least this first one, is to make awesome sounding audio. And, you know, having it, clever stuff happen through Siri is obviously on the list. I mean, and, you know, it was obviously a deliberate choice to make Siri the interface to interacting with the device. Um, I mean, I, there's other things I guess we'll find out, but, you know, there's plus minus physical buttons for volume. But for the most part, you're I think intended... it was a different thought process. Like it right. wasn't how do we put Siri in your living room? It's right. putting this in your living room. What's the best way to control it? Exactly. Oh, right. And that makes it a fundamentally different product. And I can't help but think that even if it is successful, meaning not successful necessarily in the market, um, but successful insofar as that if the product they ship is what they wanted to ship... Um, that it might wind up being deeply misunderstood in the initial reviews yeah. because it's going to be compared to Alexa and the Google thing. And there'll be, uh, you know, my Alexa can do these 30 different things, you know, and, you know, the HomePod only does two of them and, yeah. um, you know, you know, cons and then pros HomePod sounds more, sounds better. Um, yeah. I combined two two of my <laughs> items at once. <laughs> Sounds better, but then another con costs double the price or two yeah. and a half times the price. Um, so why would I pay, you know, conclusion, why would I pay three times as much for a device that only does one third of the things, even though it sounds better? Whereas yeah. the and whole I mean, point... That's a knock that happens all the time. Right. I, I can't help but guess that that's going to be the summary of a lot of reviews. And it might actually be the sentiment of a lot of people reading a lot of these reviews. If what you're looking for is an um, intelligent AI assistant to talk to and control stuff in your house. Whereas if what you uh, really absolutely. want is awesome sounding music... In the f for a, if coming in the world where where is your music coming from is the cloud, uh, you might get a totally different answer. And it also on the issue of price, uh, in the world of people who want really really high quality, um, or I'll just read it. I don't want to. I don't want to say it better. Um, guy I know, Joe Joe Saplensky, uh you were in, in this thread on Twitter, but he had a good tweet. Here's his tweet. I'm not saying HomePod is a guaranteed success. Far from it. I'm just saying there's a much bigger, more established market for great sounding home stereo equipment than there is for, quote, smart home appliances. And in that world, $350 is a steal. Now, yeah, Joe's a musician. You spend as much money as you have on audio. There is no upper limit. Right. Uh, you know, Joe's a musician. He's in a band yep. with... Uh, friend of the show, former uh, Vesper colleague, Dave Wiskus, you know, so he's a musician. He's like Dalrymple, you know, he's obviously, yeah. you know, serious musician. You care about he's music, yeah. <laughs> but it really is true that in the world of digital assistance, 350 sounds like Apple is coming in at an insanely high price. And in the world of high end home audio, it is, <laughs> it is insanely low. Yeah. And no, and that's, and that's absolutely true. You can, you can spend, if you have millions of dollars, you can spend millions of dollars on home audio. There's, there is literally no upper limit and we've all bought good speakers over the, like some people, again, they'll go and they'll get the box of speakers and that's fine for them. It's whatever Costco or Walmart right. or whatever is offering in a box. And other people will carefully select every speaker and you know, get the best amplifier because they care about this stuff. But again, I think what Apple is also solving here is I, I want better audio in my house and I 
I don't really want to fuss with wires. And I don't want to fuss with all these things. And I just want to drop it in. And Sonos was the first way of doing that. Sonos still has a good product. They have the Sonos One now. Talk about you know new market, like new competitors. They have the Sonos One now, which builds in Alexa. And I think it'll do Siri bridging and probably do Cortana so that Cortana and Alexa can talk to each other and leave you alone. Um, but that that's the solution is, I you know, I'm in on the Apple ecosystem. I have an iPhone. I subscribe to Apple Music. And I just want something in my house that takes care of all this for me. And that's the job you're hiring it to do. Uh, we've got the uh, uh, Alexa thing that uh, yeah. echoed dingus in the kitchen. Um, and we have it hooked up to some uh, just some lights and, uh, and some uh, window shades. The window shades are the main thing that I use it for. Um, Which ones did you get? Because I just, I just ordered some. Uh, Lytros? I don't know if that's yeah. Uh, that's the, the, comp- the Lutron. 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 That's it. Yeah, that's Lutron. the ones I just ordered. Serena. Um, yeah, I like the shades, um, but I still I, honestly I use the buttons on the remote control as much as I yeah. use the <laughs> Alexa interface so far. But um, Amy's in the kitchen more than me. She plays music on it. Uh, I think it sounds like shit. I really do. Yeah. And. I don't know, you know, in a kitchen where it's bouncing off tiles, it might even be more hard. So I'm really, really, I mean, that's the first place where when I get my hands on a HomePod, I'm putting it in the kitchen first um, because that's where we would use it more. Um, And (laughs) since it doesn't work with two yet, uh, uh, the living room might have to wait for AirPlay too. But uh, really all she does, she plays music on it and she sets timers and she does like using it to set timers uh, because it's hands-free. Um, yep, and that's while cooking, but it does drive her mad. And I have to say, as somebody who cares about the little things, like for all the praise that the thing gets, I, I think that some of the things that it does are so goddamn stupid. It's ridiculous. Like, so like if you have a timer going and, and you check, you're like, Hey dingus, how much time le- is left on my timer? It takes forever to get the answer. It's like, you have four minutes, 30 seconds remaining on your 10 minute timer. Like it's so stupid. Why? Who? Who? Who would program it that way? Like, if you understand the question as clearly as she understands the question, how much time is left? Uh, just say four minutes thirty seconds, and say it a little faster. <laughs> All of these things, like uh, uh, people get mad when I say this, but th- it's an incredibly new, incredibly nascent market, and there is no real leader yet. And the tech, the core technology right. itself, is not fully baked. Like, if if Amy is in the kitchen and she says. I want a scotch or something. It'll get better to understanding that she wants scotch, but it doesn't get better in knowing that Amy prefers scotch as a drink. Like right. it, it's context is very shallow, very super. All of the assistants very. It also right now it responds like it'll like you'll say lower the shades and it'll lower the shades. And if if you put it on a timer uh, or something, it'll do it programmatically. But it doesn't understand that when you wake up and you pick up your phone, it should automatically raise the shades or turn yeah. on the shower because that's what you do after you read Twitter in the morning. Like it, it, they still don't have a deep understanding of us, so it, it feels like it's a fresh enough area where there, there's not a lot of depth yet. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's some stuff about HomePod that I think is uh, it. It's not gonna. It's not the you know. I'm not dissing uh, Alexa and saying that Siri's coming out of the box. You know, to fix this and be like the i what the iPhone was to smartphones for these smart agents. I think it's clearly, absolutely, this year not going to be that. It might be a great music device, but it is absolutely not going to be uh, the the you know HAL nine thousand in your home that we ultimately want. 
The consensus uh, I've heard from you know mutual friends who've been using it for a long time is that the music experience is phenomenal, and Siri for music has been it's almost like a completely new Siri for music. Right. But the Siri is still limited. Uh, yeah. As you just answered me, but Siri yeah. is still incredibly limited. So don't go in expecting it to be. And this isn't like it'll do the HomeKit stuff because you again it's like Apple. We might as well include HomeKit. Right. Um, but it really it really is music um, first, and it's interesting too because they had Siri Kit out for this, so it'll do things like it'll work with Notes apps. It'll work with to-do apps like OmniFocus and things, um, and it'll work with uh, – I forget what the third one is. There's a third – oh, it'll um – it's the third thing that Siri Kit will work through. There's no Siri Kit for music, so there's no. If you use Spotify instead of Apple yeah. Music, you're stuck. But the architecture that Apple's building, and Brian uh, Romilly, who does all the voice first stuff, pointed this out to me. Amazon is ahead in terms of integration, but they've sort of painted themselves into a corner because of the system that they use. It's not. It doesn't handle differences in, in grammatical structure well, and also it doesn't handle. As far as he explained it, like if you got in on the ground floor and you were pizza, like you were the first developer to make a pizza. Um, a pizza integration. What happens when Pizza Hut or Domino's come on? And like some guy already owns pizza. Like it's not clear how well it's going to scale. Yeah. Where Apple is very very slow with this stuff, and they should have absolutely had more integrations out, more Siri Kit domains out sooner. Um, they've built a system that will allow many people who speak very differently in different languages, and in some cases even multiple languages, to interface with it. And they're building it in a way that it'll scale as they start rolling out more and more of those domains. Yeah, and the other thing, I don't think that this is official i don't think that they're they're saying this yet but uh, what i have heard is that you know for like the integration with things like uh your notes and reminders yeah. and there's third-party inter- integration like they're already saying like the app the great great to-do list app things i guess is already on board with a siri kit extension um if you want to use stuff like that, it only works with one Apple ID. Like, so you've yeah. got to hook up your HomePod, and maybe it's me. It messages. Sorry, that's the third one. Yeah, messages, and and they're, they've got. I think they got WhatsApp on board, so it's not yep. just Apple messages. It's messaging apps can 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 get into this, but you, there's not. You know, clearly the way that this should work. I, I'm not saying it should in given the state of technology in 2018, but certainly should ultimately and sooner rather than later is your device should recognize who you are. I've said this before yes. talking about this. I, you know, there's it, whether it's a, just voice alone or a combination of camera and voice, but there's absolutely no doubt. I mean, and you know, the tech is there if, if photos can identify, your friends and family in your photos, the device could use the same machine learning algorithms to notice that it's you who are talking, right? And the same, just think about this. There's no reason that computers shouldn't be, ultimately, computers combined with hardware shouldn't be as good as we are of, you know, (laughs) recognizing who just said something, right? That's totally true. Right now, they're personal assistants, and they need to be multi-personal assistants. And again, another problem with Apple delaying is that in the meantime, Amazon has pushed out uh, multi-user, multi-voice. And Google has more recently pushed out multi-user, multi-voice. And Nuance for years has been doing voice ID to the level that I think banking apps trust it now as a Mm. form of biometric authentication. So this stuff all works. And Apple has been working on it as far as I know, but it's not shipped yet. Right. So clearly this should work where if you've configured the HomePod in your house with your Apple ID and 
somebody else in your family has also done that. And one of you says, uh, you know, hey, Dingus, remind me tomorrow when I get to work to uh, pay Bob the $5 I owe him. Uh, it knows who said that, right? In the same way that when you're, you, you and I and a bunch of friends go out to dinner and somebody says, hey, can you pass me the salt, that you don't say, okay, who wants the salt? You just give it just to the person things. who said like, it. If you say, hey, Dingus, read me my messages, or Amy says, hey, Dingus, read me my messages, they should supply the appropriate messages to the right, right. person. Right. And and conversely, and I'm curious how this is going to work in the 1.0 version of home play is that if you come over to my house and I've got it set up for my thing and you say, uh, hey, Dingus, play my messages, uh, yeah. what's it going to do? I, I honestly yeah. don't even know. I, I have no idea on or off the record how the hell that's going to work. Because you don't want it to say, hey, is that idiot still coming over to your house? I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's a real disaster waiting No, to and there's several things. Like, they haven't said anything about it working with Apple TV yet, but it is an AirPlay endpoint, so you'll be able to select it from your yeah. Apple TV as an AirPlay speaker yeah. and do that. But there's no sort of special Apple magic right. there. And it's got Bluetooth 5.0, and it'll do speakerphone for iPhone, but Apple's not surfacing like A2DP, or I forget what the new yeah. one the new initials are, so it'll work as a Bluetooth endpoint for other devices. So yeah. it's just a lot of stuff that just seems like it's it's, it's not full yet, not finished yet. Yeah, uh, and because it is an AirPlay speaker, you can you can just use peer-to-peer AirPlay like you can with yeah. any other AirPlay device. So right out of the box, if you want to play your podcasts, uh, even if your preferred podcast app isn't, you know, magically able to just interface through the thing. You can just go from your phone, select it as your AirPlay target, and hit play and control it through your phone. So you will be yeah. able to use it as a speaker to play podcasts. It's just clearly the way this device is meant to be used is to tell, you know, Siri to, you know, play your podcasts. And this is the part that's sometimes vexing about Apple. And, and I think the last example was the Apple TV, where it took years and still felt not fully baked when the new version came out. And this Apple's been working on for years and still feels not fully baked. And yeah, there, there's always resource constraints, and they're working on multiple products and stuff. But it's clear they sort of know what it should do. Like, they knew what Apple TV does. And Apple TV now, is it two years after the new version came out, it's got almost everything that was glaringly missing from when they first launched it. But it's just getting that stuff ready so that it it's there when the product ships. It seems to be a yeah. challenge. Uh, I guess the last point here is that Apple is playing it up as being meant for Apple Music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I saw something that you can use it without op- Apple, an Apple Music subscription, and it will play music that you have purchased from iTunes. But I'm wondering what it will do, like if you have... is it Will it play anything that you possibly have that is in the cloud, you know, so with the, it is also confusing to me, but I still think that like, let's say I have a CD that has music on it. That's never been in iTunes in the store. It's an old like bootleg CD of something. And I've ripped years ago, ripped it into iTunes and I have iTunes match so that it's in my account. And when I get a new computer and sign into it, um, that song is that those songs from that disc are available to me, even though they're not in the iTunes store. Will those songs be available to me through HomePod? 
See, that was unclear to me too because we have like again, uh, Downample's got nine different versions of every Aussie song. Exactly. And he really wants to listen to right. a specific version, right. and you know, if it gets it wrong, he's he's marching on Cupertino. Right. Um, but it, it sounded to me because again, the language wasn't well, at least I didn't understand the language that well. So I'm wondering if it's just whatever is in your iCloud Music library because that sort of supplanted yeah. um, iTunes Match and it includes Apple Music if you have it. And yeah, iTunes I guess Match that's yeah. So it. I guess that's what I'm thinking. Not iTunes Match, but just iTunes Music library and i'm hoping god i'm really hoping that that's what it is because boy that would just seem i I don't see how you could excuse it otherwise right you've i mean this is itunes is a thing that apple's been building since 2001 you know that's it it's all in their court there's nobody else to blame if that doesn't work right well, there's like there's two there's two areas here of pain. One's going to be the people like like Jim or like Andy Anako who have these vast collections of music that they've carefully ripped and cataloged and really love to hear. And then there's a whole new generation of people that just don't even remember what a CD is. But maybe they're all in on Spotify and not on Apple Music, right. and their pain is going to be that yes, I can airplay it, but oh god, it would be nice to have native support for this already. Right. Right. My- two edge of the spectrum. <laughs> All right, my my version of the nine versions of the Ozzy song is my collection of live Rolling Stones performances yeah. from the seventies and early, very early eighties, where the set lists are I don't know, usually about sixty percent overlap from you know each tour to tour. So there's I don't know, at least I have at least eight different versions of Happy from uh, Exile on Main Street. And I do and want the new to version is if version. Taylor Swift drops on Spotify instead of Apple Music right. day one, they'll they'll be shook if it's not available right. to them. Right. Or really, I really with those live albums, it's great to just listen to them in order as yeah. as a concert. Um, but they're not. I don't think maybe they've made them available, but I'm pretty sure they were never on Apple Music. It's like the Stones yeah. were selling them directly, and for a while they were selling them through Google or something. I forget how I got them. Um, but apparently the series stuff is like like for music they've done an incredible amount of work to make it far more robust and nuanced and capable and i'd be interesting to see what sort like again it's only music and that sucks i wish it was everything but it'd be good to see what sort of the future of siri holds as they roll that same new system out over other domains hmm. uh anyway let's take a break and i'm going to thank our next sponsor it's our good friends at away away bags and accessories are super high quality and really, really affordable prices because they sell them direct to you. They use really high quality materials so they can offer a much lower price compared to equivalent quality brands by cutting out the middleman without the retail markup. You can choose from over 10 colors and five sizes. There's the names of their sizes. They're very hard to understand. The carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, the large and the kids carry on. They're actually very easy to understand. Um, the suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonate that's very lightweight and bends, never breaks. Uh, the interior features a patent-pending compression system. Four 360-degree spinner wheels guarantee a smooth ride. The wheels are my favorite thing about this ride, this thing. I've traveled a lot over the last month or so, uh, had mine everywhere I go, and I, I constantly... 
impressed by how smooth the wheels are in this thing. There's there's two at least two of the terminals at Philly's airport. Uh, U.S. Airways flies or American Airways as it's now known. Um, you got to go down like a slope to get there. It actually goes downhill. The damn thing, the wheels are so good that it actually it, it's you know if you let go of it, the suitcase is just going to take off. <laughs> it's so smooth. It's really really. Uh, That's my favorite thing about the whole thing. Uh, Even just clever little things like a removable, washable laundry bag that snaps into place, tucks away, uh, so you can keep your dirty clothes separate from the remaining clean clothes living out of the suitcase while you're on your trip. Uh, And here's the thing. Both sizes of the carry-on can charge all cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything that's powered by a USB cord. Uh, it's got like a, I don't know, like a 20,000 mega amp battery. So you don't have to really charge the suitcase very often. I, I go months without charging it. Months. I only charge it like, I don't know, maybe like once or twice a year. Uh, you almost never have to remember to do it. But then anytime you sit down at the airport, just plug in a lightning cable and you can sit there and charge your your phone, which is to me always a huge deal at the airport because my phone is always super low because you get a shitty signal and there's thousands of other people all on their phones. And because you're at the airport, you're on your phone all day. Um, really, it's just a tremendously convenient thing. Um, anyway, they have a lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they will fix it, replace it for free. Uh, really just great stuff. I, I really I encourage you to go check it out. They... To have a hundred day trial, live it, vibe with it, travel with it, Instagram it, take pictures, and if at any point you don't decide that you like it, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. They have free shipping on any away order within the contiguous U.S. Sorry, Alaska. Uh, Carry on sizes that are compliant with all major U.S. airlines while maximizing the amount that you can pack. Uh, they also have retail stores now in New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Austin, Texas. Beautiful, beautiful Austin, Texas. Really, I, I love my product. I, I can't remember the last time I traveled anywhere without it. Uh, it's it's just great. I really recommend it uh, personally. I, I would recommend it even if they stopped sponsoring the show. That's how much I like it. For 20 bucks off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash talk show. Awaytravel.com slash talk show and use promo talk show during checkout and you'll save 20 bucks, 20 bucks off waytravel.com slash talk show. My thanks to them. You can buy suitcases on the internet now too. You know that Renee. You can buy almost anything. It's an amazing time we live in. I, I just moved and I don't think I bought anything in a traditional store. Uh, you maybe some furniture, but almost everything else I bought, I always, it was online. Yeah. I, I do. <laughs> I buy so much stuff online. Uh, it has occasionally occurred to me where it's like, how the hell does retail even stay in business? <laughs> like anything. Oh, yeah. Even though sometimes I do like to go and I, there are things I like to buy in person, but there, it, it, there are other things that you used to buy at the stores where I occasionally go for a, an in-person retail experience where mm-hmm. since I don't buy any of those other things there, I, I don't know. I just wonder what the heck is going on. It's very yeah. strange. It, I mean, it's the same thing that it's same thing like the app store. Like if I know exactly what I want, I will go online and buy it. But if I just want, if I'm just bored, uh, or I need to get something for somebody and I don't know what I want, I find it easier to just walk through a mall and look at things and yeah. get ideas. 
Yeah, and it's still I, probably the, my favorite thing about actual physical retail shopping is still the serendipity of encountering something that I didn't even yeah. know I wanted and saying, "Ooh, that looks interesting. I'll get that." Whereas online, I'm usually target. You know, not yes. shopping at Target, but I'm targeting a specific product. Um. Anything else on HomePod? I think we think we've pretty much wrapped that up until we get our hands on the damn things. Yeah, I mean, I just encourage again. Like, I just encourage people if you're gonna try it out, go to an app. If you haven't, you know, wait, look at the reviews, but then go try it out because yelling about it before you've tried. Here's it Here's a good question. Here's a good question. I'm really curious how they sell this in the re- speaking of retail. How they se- yeah. what a segue. I should have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how is out? How, I've been thinking about this ever since June. How the hell are they going to sell these things in uh, a retail store? Like we had those. I was questions. wondering that about AirPod because that seemed yeah. like the hardest thing. Because how do you convince people about like of what an AirPod is? Because you can't yeah. like just have a lineup of them on little strings. I don't know. At I, the I, very I, least, though, with AirPods, once they're in a customer's ears to demo, they're not blaring music in the store. Yeah. And, you know, the store, the bigger, you know, the Apple stores are big rectangular spaces uh, that are not really, again, don't really, and, you know, usually stuffed full of uh, about 100 people, which isn't really uh, at least much like my home, <laughs> right? I mean, I, no, but I mean they they had they have this they had the Sonos stands for a while where they had like the section of the wall that was Sonos branded and had all like a bunch of Sonos speakers on it. They've had Beats speaker setups with like the pill um, and other things, and they've had AirPlay speaker setups for a while. And they, they I don't think they ever really demoed them loudly, um, yeah. if at all. I really wonder. I'm really curious how they're going to do this in the retail stores. Maybe they won't. Well, maybe someone they... asked me on Twitter. I forget who the name was, but it will. Will Air, HomePod technology filter down to the Beats line the way that AirPod technology did? Like, will you be able to buy a Beats version? If you really like the Beats pill as a mobile speaker, for example, will you be able to buy that with some form of this integration stuff into it? I don't know. Like, maybe there's room underneath that $350 price tag for a Beats version. It's not as slick as the Apple version, but we'll, we'll recognize a HomePod there and, and mesh its audio with it if you have it in the same room, but then you can take it with you and it'll give you like the Beats version. Do you remember, HomePod. I remember like in the late 90s in the CD era, maybe mid to late 90s, where record stores started setting up things where like when new releases would come out, they would have headphone stations where you yeah, could, like, and like you'd go to like station two and they, they would have like a poster up with here's the 10 albums set up here. And you could pick from one of 10 CDs and listen to it with some pretty good headphones right there in the store. And that felt so futuristic. It was like, wow, imagine this is so amazing. You can listen to a new album, uh, as long as you want of your choice, uh, right here before you buy it. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Apple had those, you know, when they started selling headphones, especially with the, I don't know about the Beats stuff, but they had headphone sections as well where you could try them out. I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, anything else? I don't think so on HomePod. No. Uh, Not until we get it. So what we usually do, uh, well, I guess with the other in the news, I, I, I've been on hiatus for a while. I took a hi- uh, holiday hiatus after the uh, Star Wars holiday uh, spectacular Uh uh, so it's, you know, I've missed a couple of weeks here. Uh, and I think the whole uh, 
in, in terms of news, I'm not going to try to cover everything. It's not really a cover everything show, but the HomePod Spectre, not HomePod, Jesus, uh, Meltdown oh, Spectre yeah. um, thing, uh, it sort of happened while the, the whole, I haven't really had a show in the meantime. Boy, what a nightmare this whole thing is. Yeah, uh, two critical vulnerabilities that date back to 1995 for Intel chipsets and uh, quite a quite a ways back for ARM right. uh, and AMD chipsets. Uh, and there's three vulnerabilities, one meltdown, two Spectre vulnerabilities. The meltdown one, Apple has patched for uh, for Mac OS now going back two or three three versions, I think, as of today. Yeah. They've patched it in iOS 11. And Spectre, Apple smartly decided not to use Intel's microcode, which is great because Intel yesterday said, oh, whoops, uh, we're, we're messing up older machines. Please don't use this. Uh, Apple only patched it in, in WebKit and Safari, which is where the JavaScript exploits could live. Yeah, it's, it, it, really, it really does seem like, like the, the experts, they, they've got a handle on, ooh, that's pretty clever, and they kind of get the... They get the gist of how how the exploit could work, but the understanding of how to fix it in a bulletproof way without sacrificing all of the performance advantages of uh, speculative branching, it it doesn't seem like anybody really has a full grasp on this yet. You know, it's... And the mitigations only address known attacks, so if there are other attack possibilities discovered, they'll have to add more mitigations for them. Yeah, like they're uh, not actually fixing the faults; they're stopping people from uh, attacking those faults in known ways. Yeah, I have a friend uh, who has uh, uh, a couple of web servers in production, and it just seems like you know, and they've been updated to uh, you know with with fixes to address this. But then, ever since they were updated, they are occasionally just dropping off the internet. <laughs> Need to be yeah, there removed. was an epic, um, <laughs> like one of the epic <laughs> games was was saying that they were getting a horrendous, and not only a performance hit, but because they had to use more um, more processing power, an electrical hit too. Like the power consumption was going way up to make up for it. Right, like it, it, the fixes for this are it, it, this is so low, it, it really almost couldn't get lower in the in the chain. You know, as they say, uh, yeah, on the silicon. You know, getting close to the silicon. This is. <laughs> This is pretty close to the silicon. Uh, boy, what a nightmare. It does seem... You have to do page isolation, which adds overhead, basically, to, to prevent it from accessing kernel memory. It seems as though Apple's products have come out of this fairly well in terms of, you know... I mean, who knows if they've actually fixed what they're hoping to fix. And They're being sued anyway. So. Right. Uh, oh, over this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're being sued over Meltdown Inspector already because, of course, they're being sued over. I don't know that they could be sued over like uh, the Tim Cook rooting for the wrong yes. team at the hockey game last yep. night. At this yeah. point, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, they. I mean, they they were they they patched the stuff as fast as they could prudently. They didn't sort of de- deploy any microcode that turned out to be. I think Linus Torvald called it garbage. Uh, he was quite <laughs> upset with Intel. Uh, and it seems like Intel has been in ass-covering mode rather than fixing mode throughout most of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, it's surprising because Linus Torvalds usually is uh, very diplomatic. <laughs> 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 uh, 
<laughs> doesn't really it doesn't really speak his mind very often like that. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no, but it does seem as though Apple has come out of this pretty well. If they've fixed what they think that they've fixed, like doesn't yeah. seem like computers have suddenly taken a uh, 25% performance hit or anything like that. But boy, no, it's workload dependent. And I think they announced that there was almost like, again, it depends if you're doing a lot of systems calls and, and, and yeah. what you're doing on a computer. Um, but for most, I think most common tasks, there's almost no performance hit. And I think a 2.5% performance hit for some of the Spectre stuff on one of three Safari benchmarks. Right. The system cost of it in layman's terms, I think I understand it. Uh, but the idea is that if the kernel is always running, well, the kernel is always running, and a kernel yeah. has access to all memory, including lots of stuff that individual processes should not have access to, uh, that a process running in user space could take advantage of the speculative processing and trick the kernel into going down a certain branch that it shouldn't have permission-wise. And by the time the permission check happens... And you say, oh, I got to back out of that. But as the the processor backs out of that, that memory that wasn't supposed to have been accessed is in a cache, perhaps, that the user, mm-hmm. you know, user land software could, um, through very clever ways that doesn't really matter how. And I can't, couldn't explain it because I don't understand it. But because it's in the cache, which is accessible, they could test it and figure it out and backwards you know, back out of it, what, what was actually in that protected memory. The best um, description I heard, I forget who it was from, but that meltdown is like a mugging and specter is like a Jedi mind trick. <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. Uh, uh, but yeah, and it's bad for uh, like deployments like Amazon's or Google's because you right. could go through one virtual machine into the actual machine or into other virtual machines. Right, right. And, well, all sorts of uh, uh, hosting services that are virtualized, yeah. shared hosting, like traditional old shared hosting yeah. where you're just running as processes, or even virtualized ho- uh, processes, you know, servers, which is how m- a lot of most, I think, you know, yeah, m- sort of modern way to do shared hosting is where everybody gets their own version of the OS. Typically Linux, um, but because it's tech, it's a f- really running on the same machine. This can be exploited, and that is sort of, you know, it, it's. I don't know. The, you could use all sorts of analogies, but it is sort of like breaking a hole in the matrix. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, when you're running in a virtualized server, it's supposed to be like the matrix where the software isn't supposed to realize it isn't running on its own yeah. machine entirely. It's supposed to, you know think that it's this is the real universe <laughs> i didn't know i was in a simulated universe within a yes. larger universe uh, and this just pokes a hole right through it which is really kind of it breaks a lot of assumptions anyway it's kind of fascinating stuff good to know that there doesn't seem to have been any widespread exploits that have come out of it yet but then in the back of everybody's mind you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to to wonder you know whether organizations like the NSA and others around the world uh have perhaps known about this for a long time yeah i mean people were wondering because what happened google's project zero um discovered this and then in rapid succession the university of graz and i forget who the third group was discovered it as well but it it wasn't like it was there for 20 or you know so years and then suddenly it was discovered there was a a Kaiser, which was page isolation, was proposed, and people were like, oh, we don't need that, thanks. It's a cute idea, but we don't need it. And then all of a sudden, they were like, yeah, about that project. Can we yeah. start fast-tracking it? And it made people more curious. They started investigating right. along similar lines. 
Right, right. So I, these, yeah. I saw that story. It was like people who were briefed on it were trying to <laughs> propose this thing that nobody thought was it was solving a problem that everybody thought yeah. didn't exist. And then they realized, well, wait, why? Why are they pushing this ahead? Why is it getting? And they're approved? like, well, this is a performance hit. Why would you really be? Are you really want it that badly? <laughs> okay, what are we missing here? Um, which, yeah, which was super interesting. Um. I'm trying to think what else in the last month of news is... there was something there was something yesterday or was it the day before that I just thought and I, I absolutely do not want to pick on anybody, but I was reading uh, Business Insider and there was a story about how the Apple store was such a hellish experience. I don't know if you saw it no, I don't think so so um this reporter uh dropped their iPhone twice, and the first time the screen cracked, the second time a part fell out of the screen. So they took it to the Apple store, and they did not have an appointment, and they went from one employee to another, and they said they'd fit them in, and they would replace it uh, within two hours. So you went like to a popular Apple store, no appointment. Uh, it was a little bit late to be fixed. It was like, I think it took four hours instead of two hours, but they got their phone back that same day. And and they travel to CES, and the phone stopped working. And at no point in the story does it say, well, you know, I dropped it twice. Maybe that caused more damage than I originally assumed. It was like, oh, Apple must have destroyed it when they repaired it. So they went back to um, another Apple store, another really busy Apple store. Again, didn't have an appointment. Um, managed to get an appointment, came back, and they were really upset there were no lines. Like, uh, And that's, that's a fair complaint. Some people prefer waiting in lines than just milling about. Apple seems to think people like milling about. Some people prefer lines. But then they got a replacement iPhone, like the iPhone got swapped out with a refurb, and they left seethingly angry about what a hellacious experience this was. And by no means do I want to say that, I don't want to say that experience isn't, you know, they're not entitled to their opinion. They absolutely are. But for me, you know, I, if I went in, did not have an appointment, got my screen repaired, went back in, didn't have an appointment, got a, got a new iPhone or a replacement iPhone at least, I think that was pretty great service. Yeah, I don't get that. I'll have to put a link to it in the show notes. And there was also this part about like the Google Pixel. They, they used that as a replacement phone while we're in uh, while they were in at CES, and how great that was. And I, I have a Google Pixel phone, great phone. If I dropped it twice, I'd have no idea how to get that fixed the same day. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I think you're SOL. Um, I've heard that they have some kind of mail-in thing that's pretty good, but it's certainly yeah. But it wouldn't uh, be that day. Certainly, very unlikely that you're going to find. A, a first party, even third party, I don't see how you could expect to find one of those third party repair shops that would have a replacement Pixel 2 screen ready to go. It doesn't so this seem is like, like one of those things where, like, I, I don't know how this goes up on, on, on like a website because right. absolutely you can think that's a bad experience, but I think other people given the same information wouldn't think that. And I certainly don't think it's like a, worth castigating the company over. Right. It's like you, it's like you go through it and you could see how it could be better. You know, yeah, it could be like thirty minute turnaround. In theory, you know, I, I've only ever dropped or cracked the screen on an iPhone twice, and it was both times with my iPhone six, um, which I, you know, uh, unsurprisingly had a reputation for being slippery. Uh, you know, so my no case, no Apple Pay, uh, not Apple Pay, Apple. Uh, what's the Care, warranty yeah. program? I don't even I'm Apple so, Care. Apple Care. I haven't bought Apple Care since yeah. 1991 on any device. Wow. Okay. <laughs> the one that made I me bite the, religiously. <laughs> the one that made me the most nervous was the. Uh, uh, what was it? I, Jesus, it's been so long. I don't remember the the number. I think it was a Power Mac 9100. Okay. <laughs> um, that I blew like the amount of a small car on. <laughs> 
Okay. In like 1996 when I got out of college. Uh, I, I've never, I haven't bought Apple Pay since 1991 on my Mac LC that I went to college with. And so at this point, or 9600, that's right, Power Mac 9600. Uh, can't believe I forgot that. Boy, I'm losing it, Renee. Uh, my beloved Power Mac 9600 that I used for probably more than I ever used any Mac that I've ever owned. Um, I, I haven't bought Apple Apple. What's it called? Apple Care. Apple Care. Can't remember it. Um, so I'm ahead. You know, like I could have a I could I could have a complete lemon and I could lose. You know, have a you know I, I at this point I've bought so much stuff that I could have like a two twenty five hundred dollar MacBook. That goes belly up two days out of warranty, and and I'd still be ahead yeah. compared to how much money. But anyway, haven't done oh, it. Oh, that's fair. Don't do it on iPhones uh, either because I just don't. I very seldom drop them. Not just you know crack the screen, but I've I've had a few drops over the years. But the iPhone six, I did twice. I had it dropped it. It cracked. Um, uh, and both times I was near an Apple store and took it in without an appointment and got it. I think I got it back within about an like 60 to 90 minutes both times. Yeah. So I could see how four hours would be frustrating because it felt like a long time to me too, but not like, you know, I didn't complain. I thought, Hey, that's pretty good. You know, you didn't write hellish experience as a title on during fireball. <laughs> no. It was funny though. It was very funny though. Like waiting around to get your phone back, uh, in the store and you know, you could just, you know, that, I could go to other stores. They say, hey, it'll be about an hour, uh, but they can't take they can't take your phone number and text you when it's ready. Yes. Because, because they have, they have your-, your phone. And I, I, you know, it's like, come back in about an hour and check in. And I'd come back and it's like, oh, it's almost ready. Uh, I think it'd be like 15 more minutes. So I just hopped on like a MacBook in the store and browse around and I'd see something and I would think I want to take a note to remember that. And I'd go to get my phone out to note it and I didn't have my phone. It's very strange. My, I mean, my, I I only ever damaged one for a long time, and that was an iPhone 4S that got hit by fireworks on New Year's, and it melted the oleophobic coating. <laughs> and I made an appointment, took it in. They looked at it. They they, they decided to capture it because I don't think they'd ever seen that before. And then I got a very kind but stern lecture about taking better care of my belongings. Really? Um, but they replaced it immediately, and I, I used I, I logged into iCloud and it downloaded all my stuff, and I was good to go. Yeah. And I thought that was like that was the future for me. But then this year, uh, so I the slipperiest phone I've ever owned was a Nexus Four, and you could put that in the middle of a dining room table, and it would fall to the floor within an hour. <laughs> but I found the iPhone Eight um, because they have the same similar. Um, inductive charging plates on the back is also much much more slippery than i would have anticipated and so i've broken two like in the last two months really uh just like i broke one the first day i had it i put it down on the table and i didn't realize it was slightly on the napkin and it used the napkin as a slide and landed on a stone floor uh, and it didn't break the back it broke the front the, the front um and then the other one i was um uh, I was out and I got hit by somebody and it, it it sent the phone flying and it fell down and broke the front. You got punched by somebody or you got No, I like they were just walking by aggressively like right. I was sitting I was I was sitting there talking and they were and they just slammed into me and kept walking which is I was in the US I wasn't yeah. in Canada. So, you know, I don't know if there's a difference there but and the phone just fell down and also broke the front. Hmm. Uh, and it's, it's iPhone 8s that's just they've been my, my pain so far. iPhone 10 has been fine Knockwood but iPhone 8 and I will say this, I, my experience making an appointment 
at an Apple store is in, especially in the last few, let's say four or five years, excellent where they're ready for you almost on time. The amount of time it takes to diagnose slash explain slash, Oh, I see. Yes, absolutely. Whatever the issue is, uh, I would say ideal, you know, I, I can't see how they would do better. They did bury making a genius appointment, which I hate. Like it used to just be you go there, you hit the genius button, and you'd be gone. And now you have to fight your way through three or four different layers of stuff before it lets you do that, which I dislike. But hmm, interesting. once you have it done, it's good. I wonder why they've done that. Probably. Well, I think they wanted to get rid of people who just automatically make a genius yeah. appointment for anything. And yeah. they wanted you to go through sort of the steps to see if you yeah. really needed one. Yeah. Because I've noticed – I haven't been there a lot. I also have I always been very lucky with uh, you know non-lemon – Apple devices, but my son, I think I talked about it in the show years ago, but my son, uh, as a same, same model as me, a 2013, uh, MacBook pro 13 inch. And his had an issue, uh, where if he ever ran the battery down to zero and it auto shut down, it would never turn back on. There was nothing you can do to make it turn back on. And, uh, First, I was like, well, why <laughs> don't do that? <laughs> it was like eventually it happened to one time and we got it to get back on somehow eventually. I forget what the deal was. And I was like, well, don't run it down. But then he, <laughs> he would just do it again because he'd be like playing a game. And, and it was like that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer had a had a, a, a car where the engine, you know, the, the gas light yeah. came on. And he was like, let's see how far we can go. Like it was sort of like a thrill seeking <laughs> Uh, yeah. but anyway, it, eventually we took it in and they ran some tests and it, it just would not turn on. It wouldn't take a charge. It was just inert and it had to be go away for repair. It was all, you know, as you know, as bad of a thing as you could have, it was like the logic board had to be replaced, has to be sent away. couldn't be done on premises. And the whole thing was fantastic. It was, we were in the store for the briefest amount of time. It was obvious that something was wrong. They took it to the mysterious upstairs lab where somebody else confirmed yes this is not right you sign out some forms you sign uh, your signature on an ipad and you know two days later they called me up and said the the thing was back yeah no, and it uh, worked perfectly ever since yeah no same experience and i've had before you know i used to have work windows laptops and when they we would pay for on-site the uh, service from Dell, but it was hideously expensive. And for the people who didn't have that, it was just, you never knew when you were going to get your computer back. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't get, I, I don't, I don't get our friend at business insider. Is that what you said? I was at business insider. Yeah. That's yeah. shocking that business insider. I'll find would, you the link. It's very shocking to me that business insider would run something sensationalized like that. Yeah. Uh, I had a piece yesterday. Got a lot of people sent good things about, about the, uh, these rumors of the iPhone 10 being, Produced for only oh, one God. year because yeah. it's a dud. Because of uh, Ming Chi Kuo said, people in China uh, aren't buying the thing because they're they they're all they want are big screens and they think the notch is using up too much space and they may only sell eighteen million of them and stop production in summer. It's kind of funny how this really transmogrified and I, I wrote about it before it had even finished spreading. Yeah. Where he writes this, and Apple Insider does. I, I it, the one thing about these Ming Chi Kuo reports is they're not public. He's, yep. you know, presumably they go to paid clients of his, and then yes. he seeds them to a very small handful of uh, Mac rumor type publications like Apple yeah, Insider. KGI security subscribers get them. Yeah, I, I'm curious whether they go out 
before he sends them to Apple Insider and Mac Rumors. Um, because here's the thought I had yesterday as I was, and I don't typically do this, but um, I will take an aside here and just mention my longtime uh thing that I have a personal policy where I don't own any stock in individual yeah. companies other than Berkshire Hathaway, uh. <laughs> Uh, which to me is more like an index fund. The only stock market investments I have are in uh, index funds, and I consider Berkshire Hathaway a sort of index fund. Um, uh, so I only the only way I could possibly profit through Apple's stock going up would be if you know it secondhand through the S and P five hundred going up. Uh, yeah, which I uh, to me is an acceptable. Uh, I don't know. I mean, but anyway, that's my disclaimer. I don't own Apple stock, have not owned Apple yeah, stock in many, 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 many years. Um, and even when I did, it was a ridiculously small amount. Um, but anyway, I looked yesterday after all this happened, after the markets closed and the market overall was up maybe like 2% and most of Apple's peers like uh, Amazon and Google, I forget who else I looked at, were also up roughly 2% and Apple was down 2%, which, you know, 2% up 2% down, you know, it's, that's the stock market. But at Apple's scale, that's uh, literally billions of dollars of market cap. And I really can't help but think that the reason that Apple was down a bit on a day when the market was up a bit was that there were a whole bunch of stories about the iPhone 10 being discontinued because it was unpopular. <laughs> I mean, there I don't think... This great there's this great interview from Jim Cramer from like 10 years ago where he starts off talking about BlackBerry but then finishes off talking about the iPhone. And he's like, this is how it works. And I used to run a hedge fund and I know this. And I'm not, I don't think this is legal. But, you know, if you've got to make your nut, this is what you've got to do. And what you'll do is you'll start a rumor and you'll call somebody and you know who to call. And you'll get them to say, oh, the you know Verizon's going to take a pass on the iPhone or the iPhone's going to be delayed. And you start shorting and you start shorting. And you get this guy to put a put on. And you'll get him to call somebody else. And you'll get him to say it. And all of a sudden, there'll be a run on it and you'll just move the market because that's how you got to get your money. That's how you got to get paid. That's what you've got to do to make every, you know, and he goes on to describe the entire market manipulation process of which the media, you know, is, is absolutely complicit because we've seen, there's been wall, some years there are wall street journal articles, not like no author name on them, no sourcing that'll just say, Apple is going to not have enough iPhones or they're not going to have enough screens and the market will react to those. And once in a while, those stories disappear, but sometimes they're left up there. Uh, and it, it just seems like blatant manipulation because most of the time the clients for these companies have been told days before and they've done like they've either shorted or they've bought and then the media reaction moves the market. And it just it just feels like this is incredibly manipulative. Uh, I, I really don't think it's a conspiracy. You have to be conspirationally minded to think that. I really do think that there is something to this, and and you know, that's what makes it me feels wonder. Like pump and dump, like just basic pump and. Well, dump. that's what makes me wonder whether uh, KGI Securities clients get these reports before they are leaked to the Apple press and can read between the lines of whether this is going to play as good news or bad news, and make moves accordingly. I I, just, I don't know about that. had never really occurred to me before as to who, whether he sends them to like Mac rumors and Apple insider at the same time, or whether he sends them to them like a day later. But so I, I, I don't think there's any doubt that he moves the market. He really does. 
Uh, absolutely. I, I think it, at least he has his name on these things, but a lot right. of them, again, are the completely – nobody knows who they are. And it's important to remember, like – and I won't – I just won't publish them because I, I am not their client. They have their clients. They are using me to achieve the ends of their clients, and it is not my job to be used uh, for their financial benefit. Yeah, I – but anyway, I wrote about it, and I think that if there is a kernel of truth here, uh, and Ming Chi Kuo obviously has some good sources in Foxconn at the very least, if not the whole Asian supply chain, but his, his sources at Foxconn have been pretty good in many ways. Um, you know, that I would interpret this as meaning that the iPhone 10 is going to be one of the phones like the iPhone 5, uh, yep. like the original, original iPhone. Apple Watch in the original iPhone that yeah. only are in production for one year. And that's Apple. I forgot about the Apple watch, but that's a good one where the original yeah. Apple watch did not just slip down the, um, pricing matrix to a second level. They actually replaced that with what they called the series zero or series one, yeah. series one. And so we gave it that we in the press unofficially gave the original, the, the nickname series zero. Um, yeah, I think that was a Serenity Caldwell. Uh, yeah, I think she did quite that. I do think yeah. she did. Thank you, Serenity. Um, uh, and, you know, I think that my completely conjectural, because Apple is, you know, why they do things like this are like the holiest of holy secrets and I think are only really ultimately known by the highest executive level. But I think it makes it's common sense to think that when they do something truly new production-wise – like making the first ever watch or the first ever iPhone that yeah. they learn things that they, you know, can subsequently even just in the course of 12 months do so much better that they, it no longer makes financial sense to keep making it. Um, you know, so the original iPhone was on sale for a year. And as soon as the iPhone 3G was ready to go, the iPhone, the original iPhone was gone. It, there was no second, you know, oh, you can save some money and get the year old version. It was just gone. Um, the only really new iPhone, truly radically new iPhone, in my opinion, that did stay for an extra year was the iPhone 4, which yeah. um, did two things production-wise that were totally new. had the glass back with steel yeah. frame aluminum, and it had a retina screen instead of a non-retina screen. Um, yeah. and, and the irony that I, I pointed out was that it was also the one with the most notorious flaw, which was the attenuation yes. issue. Like it was the it was uh, of all the iPhones ever made, the one that that stayed. It also stayed the longest as the top tier phone because it was the one that it was the last one to ship at the end of June, early July, and yeah. a 4S was the first one that shifted to the fall. So, and it was way late in the fall, right? The most, right, the the most flawed iPhone and biggest PR debacle the company has ever faced <laughs> was the flagship iPhone for the longest amount of time and then still remained in the lineup as the second cut iPhone for another year after that. So the but, thing that gets me is like, I think, and, and I think this is true for a lot of rumors is that, and, and Ming-Chi Kuo and other people is that they get a little bit of information, but then they spin a narrative around that information. And not all of them seem to understand Apple very well because the narratives right. don't often coincide with the way Apple actually does things. And then people conflate the information in their rumor with the context that's been invented to sort of tell a story about it. Uh, and then that just, it, that just snowballs. And in this case, I think your iPhone 5 analogy is really apt because when the iPhone 5S came out, Apple doesn't really care if the phone looks alike. They had the iPhone 6 and 6S and 7 and 8 all on the market at the same time. But 
with the iPhone 5C, you know, it, it was difficult. The iPhone 5 was difficult to manufacture and reducing it in cost um, would be problematic, but also it wouldn't let Apple reach any new or different markets where right. the iPhone 5C was cheaper to make and it let Apple test the idea of a less expensive, more right. colorful, more fun iPhone. And here you have an iPhone 10, which is expensive to make. It uses a scarce resource like OLED and... If Apple replaces that with an LED iPhone, they can save the OLED supply for the new flagships, but also they can make it slightly bigger or do whatever they think they need right. to test out, like whether it is China or something else, to test out a slightly different form factor. Yeah. Um, it, well, the funny thing to me is how this the, the, it, there's that old kids game, Whisper Down the Alley or whatever it's called. where Broken you know, Telephone. Broken yeah. Telephone where kids line up in a row and you're supposed to whisper as quietly as possible. Somebody starts with something and then, you know, 20 kids in a row. One kid whispers it to the next and you're spo- in, in good faith, you're supposed to try to whisper it to the next person as accurately as possible. I, <laughs> I distinctly recall as a child <laughs> purposefully mangling it in a humorous yes. way. Uh <laughs> Don't invite John Gruber to your game of broken telephone. <laughs> um, but even when kids try to do it honestly, it is kind of funny how it comes out wrong at the end. And it's really – this story in particular quickly got wrong where the original stupid, report yeah. from Ming-Chi Kuo is – the fact he reported was that he thinks Apple might stop production of the iPhone ten this summer in the lead-up to the new phones – which I would fit exactly with what, yep. you know, not that they would stop selling it. He's, he's completely writing from, you know, that at some point in July, Foxconn can stop making iPhone 10s and focus on iPhone 11s or whatever we're going to call them. Uh, and they'll, Apple will still have these iPhone 10s that had been made through July to sell through mid-September when they switch to the new product line where the iPhone 10 doesn't exist. That's what he, Ming-Chi Kuo wrote. That's what I, Apple Insider, I believe, accurately summarized, but I can't prove because I don't have Ming-Chi Kuo's report. Yeah. Um, it matched what Mac Rumors wrote, which I think means it's pretty, it's pretty consistent. This uh, <laughs> was, it was then, uh, it was then taken up by somebody who made it see, at Newsweek, who made it seem as though the iPhone was being discontinued now and they'd stop yes. selling it in the summer and we'd go, uh, you know, like in the midsummer, there would be no more iPhone 10s to buy and that new iPhones wouldn't be ready yet because that's how badly <laughs> the iPhone 10 was selling. So the only thing that makes more sense is to stop selling it. <laughs> right. And then it went, it, it got to the point where the just the summary of the story was that Apple is right now in the midst of canceling the iPhone 10. And I, I this yeah, is a true Forbes story. Forbes was horrible about that too. You may not have seen it. I wrote this story on Daring Fireball right before we recorded and published yep. it. But I literally, oh, I read I, it. Uh, there's a, a great contractor we've had working on and off in our house, a guy named Wayne, really nice guy, does good work, sort of a technical enthusiast. And, you know, one day he was, you know, here and, and he was doing work in my office and my office is, <laughs> it looks, it looks like a, you know, it probably doesn't really look like an Apple store because it's, it's not very well organized, but it certainly looks like maybe I robbed an Apple store, uh, in terms of the number, especially a couple of months ago when I had the boxes of, you know, multiple new iPhones <laughs> out on my desk. And he's like, what do you do? And, you know, told him, um, and he was kind of intrigued by it. He's sort of a gadget 
you know, a, a regular person gadget nerd. And he was here today and, uh, you know, it's like, you know, ding dong, here he is, the doorbell. Hey, how you doing, Wayne? Good to see you, John. Um, you know, something about the Eagles being in the Super Bowl. You know, friendly chit-chatting. And then he's like, hey, what the heck's the deal uh, with this thing I saw yesterday where the iPhone X's been canceled? Is that legit? And I was just blown away, you know, that this it could not be a more regular person. Uh, and he's heard that Apple is canceling the iPhone X. Like, uh, crazy. It's absolutely insanity. I and saw people on Reddit asking, like, oh, Apple's canceling the phone. Is that, are they going to take my phone away? Will they repay me? And, it, <laughs> and this is how people react to those kinds of stories. And they don't, they're not stupid. They're just not, you know, they right. just don't understand when they see these headlines, what it means to them, and they start to panic. Right. It really is. Like the, the headline, it, you know, everybody talks about fake news and fake stories and, and truly out, you know, truly... B- b- you know, this nobody really lied here. Although I would say there's some mendacity involved in, I think, purposeful exaggeration, especially in the headlines. And I really, I cannot emphasize enough for people who don't think about this because you, you know, you're not in the business of writing headlines. But headlines have always been important, even in the print mm-hmm. world. Uh, you know, and, and you know, on magazines, they, they they sell the magazines, right? So there's always, you know, the 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 pre digital equivalent of of clickbait is. Uh, you know, salacious headlines on on the magazines or a newspaper tabloid uh, to sell copies, right? Like, oh, you know, here's you know uh, an exaggerated sensationalist headline. But people if it bleeds, it leads. Dog right. bites, man bites dog, all that stuff. Right, but even then, you're not a click away, right? Like, even if the cover of the New York Post has you intrigued enough to say, ah, oh, damn it, I'm buying a copy. You've still got to wait in line. You got to reach in your pocket and get fifty cents out and hand it over. And you know you're buying. You're not just you're not just dipping your toes in. You're picking up a whole eighty-five page newspaper. You know what I mean? Uh, it, whereas a click is always you know you're just a click away. You can just touch it. Just yeah. touch. Just touch. Just tap here. Tap this. Tap this. Tap this. It's Listen like to the this. tabloids at the end of the of the the supermarket line. Right. Except that you can. You're just a tap. All you have to do is touch it. Just touch. Just touch this spot. Touch this spot on the. You know, in your thumb is already just an inch away. Just yes. move. Move your thumb one inch and tap this, and we'll explain this seemingly impossible headline away. That the iPhone. You know, Mighty Apple Incorporated is canceling their supposedly best product ever made. <laughs> and it's. But it. You know. It. It seeds these, you know, I, I know meme, the word meme has sort of been uh, co-opted to mean these graphical animated GIFs with uh, headlines underneath. But, the, you know, going back to Richard Dawkins' original definition of just the way that an idea can sort of spread through a culture uh, – you know what I mean? It's not even like a story. It's not like there's. It's just that headline. Just the notion yeah. of uh, Apple has canceled the iPhone X, which is it, it, preposterous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And no, I absolutely. Also, I totally. And I also thought it was interesting that uh, my contractor friend Wayne, he he his he he his the way he posed it to me, he was like that. That's not right, is it? You know, like he knew to be skeptical. You know what I mean? It wasn't like he was fooled. So it's not. The the problem isn't that uh, people like Wayne have been f- tricked into thinking it's true that Apple canceled the phone. They're you know because he's not dumb, he just isn't deeply involved in this. It's just something he cares about tangentially, and because he's not dumb, uh, 
because he's actually, you know, a smart, uh, you know, good, bright guy. He knew to be skeptical, but he just didn't understand how to square the two things. Like he knows this doesn't sound right, but that's what people are saying. That's the essence of FUD. It's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. They're fearful that it might be true. They're uncertain whether it is or true or not, and so start to doubt you know, what they think is real. And, it, and it's a huge problem. I remember my mom once called me. She said I was watching BBC, and they said that the iPhone had been hacked. And because like I, I do what I do, I knew what the story was. And it was if you, you, know, if you went to a uh, – if you jailbroke your iPhone and you went to a specific Chinese cracked iPhone app store and you downloaded certain apps and you were a journalist, they were trying to target you um, with malware. And it had nothing to do with anything that would affect anyone else who was an Apple customer. But the BBC ran it as though the iPhone was hacked. And another major blog said that Apple's, you know, Apple's uh, unblemished security record is now broken. Which, you know, it was yeah. never not broken, and it wasn't broken now. Uh, but this is a narrative that people are getting fed. And then yeah. they, people who are already worried about technology, who don't find it accessible or who think it's scary, they're just made more afraid. And you're, you're literally victimizing people who would benefit from the technology. Do you, do you read uh, – I, I love it. I've used it for years. I, in fact, I have so many years, I, I don't even remember how long. But the website TechMeme, just a, I don't know if it's because I thought of the word meme or not, but – Tech meme is sort of an aggregator of nerd tech industry news. Um, uh, Gabe Rivera is the founder. I haven't seen Gabe in years, but I, I know Gabe a little bit. Yeah. Um, and and the gist of it is they, if you've never been there, go to techmeme.org. I find it to be a terrific way to just get a snapshot of, uh, hey, has anything big happened? Especially like when I'm traveling, if there's a day when I'm busy and I haven't checked anything in a while. Uh, just quick look at tech meme and scroll down a bit from the top. And it's a good way to sanity check. Have I missed anything big that I really need to know about a daring fireball? Nope. Or yes, look at that. Wow. Uh, I need to take a break here and go look at it. Um, and it, you know, ranks things. I don't know what quite the algorithm is, but anyway, a couple of years ago, tech meme switched from running the original publications headlines to Mm -hmm. rewriting them editorially, good old fashioned human, uh, 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 human writing. Um, and a lot of publications really got pissed off about that. Uh, well, it made them verbose enough to tell you everything about the story in the headline, which they thought would limit click through. And, you know, oftentimes, but, but if you're, if your headline, if that's how much could be, if that's how much yes. news is in your story, really, who's at fault there? Uh, yeah. Well, if you're not adding value beyond the facts, then you know it's, it's not their fault. Right. The abuse of headlines—I I can't get off. I can't uh, overstate uh, just how bad of a problem it is, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, and and tech meme goes to the opposite measure of actually rewriting them out of respect for the visitors to tech memes' time and attention. Yeah, there's a great Twitter account. I, I forget the name of it. I think it's called "Saved You a Click." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's so great. And uh, <laughs> like I saw one today where it was like uh, – it's often movie news, but they just – in other words, they'll take a totally salacious tweet or headline and just quote it in a tweet and then tell you – and usually in about five words <laughs> what the story actually is. Saved you a click. Yeah. And it was one – it was like uh, the Russo brothers uh, talk about um, the uh, – uh, what's the movie with Scarlett Johansson where she she's a superhero? Uh, 
um, the Black Widow or the Black Widow, Black uh, Widow movie, the Black yeah. Widow movie, and uh, the the you a click summary of the entire story was they're very excited to work on it. <laughs> Yeah, and you know that that's the whole story. Like, what are they going to do? So, are they going? I have to... a love hate relationship with Saved You a Click because in so, there are some writers who are really good, and I want to go on that ride with them. Like they're, they're right. good at teasing out a headline, telling you a phenomenal story, and then they'll zing you at the end, almost mm-hmm. like a like an M Night Shyamalan movie at its at its finest. And then it, like they just said, Darth Vader is his father. I'd be like, ah, oh, damn it, I wanted to go on that ride. But there are a lot right. of cases where there really is nothing else, and they do save me a click. Yeah. So you're saying that they're not quite. They're not quite judicious enough in who they go after. Yes, in terms of yeah, going like I after. I think if it's if it's a really yeah, uh, and I guess it, it depends on the quality of the writer. But I think there are some writers out there that deserve to like, the experience of revealing what they want to say, and there are others that are just trying to steal your attention. And I think there's a, a, a line between the two. Uh, I don't think we're going to get to our year 2017 year in review. But we could try to squeeze it in in the last few minutes of the show. But in the meantime, sure. let me thank our uh, third and final sponsor of the week, Squarespace. Look, you need to make a move. You need to make a, some kind of new project. You've got an idea. You need a website. You should make that move with Squarespace. You can make a beautiful website from Squarespace in just minutes. You could do 30 minutes, and you wouldn't just have a generic website from Squarespace. You could have your website from Squarespace. Really, really beautiful, attractive design, all sorts of features, any kind of thing that you really want to build, any kind of standard pattern for a website, like having a blog, hosting a podcast, hosting a store, putting up a gallery of your work or whatever it is you're trying to show off. Uh, you can do it at Squarespace or you can combine multiple things and have sections and have one section be your podcast and one be your blog and another place where you sell your t-shirts. Uh, it, 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 I can't overstate just how comprehensive the Squarespace platform is all visual. You do it right there in the browser, drag and drop, totally visual WYSIWYG design, the way design's meant to be. But if you have the technical chops, if you know HTML and CSS and JavaScript and you want to get in there and mess with it at that level, you can certainly do it at that level too. You can do it at the technical level. You can do it at the visual level. Really great. You can do everything from registering your domain name to doing the design. All of the hosting, they take care of it. It's a really bulletproof, reliable platform high performance, really fast website, and they have everything else you need too, like analytics, meaning stats, and you can see how many people are coming to your site, where they're coming from, where they're going on your site, everything like that. They have it all. Um, It's really great. I know you've heard me say this before. They sponsor the show all the time. They've sponsored it for years, but the reason they keep coming back is that people who listen to this show keep signing up for new Squarespace accounts and telling them they came from here. Um, so if you're in the market for uh, a new website, I implore you to check out Squarespace. I really do recommend it personally uh, and join the, I, I would love to know just how many people from the talk show have signed up for Squarespace over the years. Go there uh, to squarespace.com, just squarespace.com, no special URL. What they do want you to remember is the offer code talk show, just plain talk show. And then you use that at checkout, you will get 10% off and you can pay for a whole year in advance. So you could pay 10 bucks, 10, save 10% off an entire year all at once. Um, so start your free trial today at squarespace.com. You don't have to pay them a nickel. Uh, 
Once you're ready to go, just remember that code talk show and you'll save 10% off your first purchase, Squarespace. Uh, so we've had extradition. I forget if it's two or three years in a row where you've come on at the end of the year and, and we've done like a year in review. Uh, and I ran out of time last, last December, so we didn't do it. But here you are in the first episode of 2018. We could, we could, we could whip, whip through it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, not much happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't have notes on this. What do you think? What did, what's your high-level takeaway of the year that Apple had, the year of the industry? I mean, it was one of those years uh, – you know, I'm not sure if I prefer it or not, but it was one of those years where Apple didn't have a March event and we gotten used to having them again because they had yeah. a series of events for like the yeah. 12-inch MacBook and Apple Watch. Uh, and the iPhone SE, and the you know the, the the closest we got was the product red iPhone, which wasn't an event; it was just sort of pushed out there. But we waited till WWDC to have any sort of Apple before Apple took the stage at all. And then when they did, we got like a plethora of things. We got all the uh, KB Lake, the MacBook, the MacBook Pro, the iMac. Pro was was shown off. The HomePod uh, was shown off. And I know people are, are are wondering why it was shown off so early. Uh, you know why those pods turn up so early if they're going to ship in September. But you know they've done that in the past. Um, and we got all the new operating systems, and it was just it felt like we went so long without it, and then everything was just slammed onto us all at once. My high high level takeaway of 2017 is uh, my. I don't know if it's my primary interest in the company, but it certainly is. If it's not number one, it's very, very close. But I, I, it's probably number one, and it's selfish, and very selfishly. Everything I've done professionally in my life, other than the high school job I had stocking shelves in a supermarket slash pharmacy uh, and scraping gum off the tables of my school when I was in 10th grade during the summer uh, and cutting the grass, I've done with a computer. And Mm -hmm. 99.999% of that work was on Apple computers. Um, I, I, you know, not through luck, but through actually choosing what I do, uh, I've spent, other than some internships in college, really spent very little time needing to use Windows professionally. And that was by choice. Um, And I see 2017 as an interesting year for Apple as the maker of machines for creative professionals, where Mm -hmm. I do think that they dropped the ball on the latest MacBook Pros. There's just no question in my mind. There's certain aspects of them that are debatable. Like, yeah. hey, maybe they didn't need to make it any thinner. I would just wish that I wish it was the same thickness before as before and just put more battery in there. Debatable. Uh I could see why other people would say this is amazing. It's as thin and light as a MacBook Air, but it has a retina screen in its performance. But the keyboard is undeniably a a, a step backward. It is failing for people. There's too many people yes. who they're getting keys stuck. And that's just uh, it, uh, the keyboard has to be reliable. It absolutely has to be. And I like to get a Mac and use it until I feel like it's really problematic. So I've still got my I'm recording right now using my 2013 MacBook Pro that I bought with a, a Core i7 and, uh, you know, maxed out the RAM at 16 and all, you know, 
big one gigabyte SSD, and the thing still runs really, really well. So I wasn't in the market for a new one. But boy, ever since this report of the unreliable keyboards has broken out, uh, you know, and really become well known, you know, months ago, every time I'm traveling or other, you know, otherwise using my MacBook Pro for work and I'm writing, and, you know, guess what? I write a lot. Uh, I keep thinking about how I've never had a MacBook or PowerBook or an iBook that had a keyboard that I didn't trust a hundred percent and how frustrating I would find it to have a keyboard that wasn't a hundred percent reliable, like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I've had this machine now for over four years. Uh, and I don't think I've ever once tried to type a letter on this keyboard and not had the key that I thought I was pressing <laughs> register the key in the software I was typing. Like, no, I'm sorry. I say 2013. I just checked. It's mid 2014, 2014. Yeah. So it's a year. And so is my son's, the lemon, uh, that was fixed. Uh, I misremembered. Good thing. I went to the about box. Wouldn't want to get that wrong. Um, <laughs> so it's a three-year-old computer, but literally however many keystrokes I've typed, <laughs> Since sometime in the second half of 2014, when I bought it and it became my personal laptop, it is literally at 100%, as to my knowledge. I've never once tried to type a K and not had the K register or had the K stick or something like that. I, anything less than that is unacceptable to me. I really, so I really think they have a problem there with the keyboard. I also think that as, the, as we stand right now, I think that the touch bar is not good enough. I think there's way too many people who don't like it at all and way too few people who have good things to say about it. I, it's hard for me to judge because I only used it for like two weeks while reviewing them and I was intrigued by it, but it still seemed like this is really a cool idea. Let's wait and see how it shakes out in software. And it seems like the way it's shaken out is that people don't really care, care for it or love it. So I, I'm very similar to you in that I have that exact same MacBook Pro, like the 13-inch from 2014, and I, I loved it. It was a computer. It was probably my favorite computer because I vacillated between the MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air in terms of power and portability, and that one really felt like it had it all. But I'm different in that I've been using the 13-inch with Touch Bar um, since it came out, since the, the, the very first time it was available. And um, I have two thoughts about it. One is I vastly prefer the keyboard on the new MacBook Pro to the previous ones, but I know I'm that you know not mm -hmm. everybody thinks that. And Apple is the only manufacturer of MacBooks, so you cannot have a product that's divisive. You can have people who like one keyboard more than the other, but if you have a large portion of your customer base who actively hates that keyboard, that's a problem because they have nowhere else to go. Yeah. Um, and the failure thing is just not debatable. I've had I have had keys fail on older MacBooks, but they were super easy to either clean or replace, like just trivial. And this one is absolutely not. This is a, an expensive repair. Yeah, and let me fix. just emphasize that I've, it's not that in my life I've never had a key go bad on any Apple laptop. I mean, uh, I think I had a white, I, the, I know I had a white iBook, the 12-inch white iBook, and I think it, the keys got a little squishy, but it was they were fixable. I didn't have to go to a store. I could, you know, jimmy it with a pocket knife or something. I'm just, but I'm saying that the 100% record is with this particular MacBook Pro from mid-2014 yep. that I fastidiously never eat food around, um, which, 
which my son does. I'm a filthy blogger, so I, <laughs> mine is just, just waiting my, to die. My son's keyboard is like Oscar the Grouch's keyboard. It, it's really kind, of, you know, it, yeah. it's really kind of astounding. How I, I, but you know what's funny though? It's and it's st- like it would drive me crazy. Like, uh, you know, he's got keys that to me stick. But they they don't stick stick they just yeah, don't yeah. click right but it actually works if you just trust that what you think you're typing you're typing and look at the screen it actually works even though it feels ugh and it makes me sick but anyway yeah. I love them <laughs> I think it's a problem and I also think it's interesting on the flip side um, for professional work you've got it was a big big year for iPad Pro. But well, before we move on from the MacBook okay. Pro, the one other thing that I wanted to, th- to say about this is this is one of those things where data, you know, people talk about data a lot, but data is nothing without analysis. And Apple has a ton of data about what we buy. We literally vote with our wallets for right. everything that Apple does. And people uh, people don't buy desktops. When they do buy desktops, they buy iMacs, but they don't buy desktops. They buy MacBooks. And MacBook Air is super popular. And everything Apple is telling them, including the success of the iOS devices, is that the lighter and more mainstream they make these products, the more they will sell. And we've even, like, despite people really not liking these MacBooks, they're incredibly popular. And you could say that there was like a hunger or a thirst or there's no alternative, but it's also possible that Apple is making more mainstream MacBooks, but they did it at the expense of the pros instead of adding a product. Like they, it's great that they had the MacBook Escape for people who didn't want everything else, but they didn't have a MacBook Pro Pro the way they have the iMac Pro that was sitting on top of the line that was there for yep. the people who really wanted high memory, high power, high yep. processing, and didn't give a crap if it had battery life or thinness at all. I think that missed product was i think if they just if they'd had that extra one on top the way they had the extra one on the bottom we wouldn't have seen anywhere near the negative sentiment we got yeah i think i I, that's a fantastic point um i wish i had put it in a note so i would have been sure to make it but you made it well but i think you're exactly right that they should in theory there should be what 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 the current thinner macbook pros are to the imac there should be like the 5k iMac there yeah. should be something that is like the iMac Pro or and or Mac Pro and and it's like these are really a MacBook Air Pros yeah we got yeah and you know it, it names names matter but i think if you put names aside and you know i i don't know what you'd call it somebody they could come up with something but there should be a you know Thicker, heavier, more USB ports, uh, pro, you know, things that, you know, it, it, the pro word is so problematic. And I see so many columns and listen to so many podcasts where I get frustrated because it, it's like almost like if you took the word pro off the MacBook Pro, like you yeah. said, and just call it like the new MacBook Air. I, 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 or just, you know, or if they just like iPhones, just put the word MacBook on all of them, whether it was yeah. the, the MacBook one port, the MacBook Pro, whatever. Uh, it, I think it, you can easily get lost in the weeds by defining pro as professional and because the different people who make their living on it in a professional sense do it in so many different ways, right? There are people mm-hmm. who literally don't need any of the ports. There are people who can use it all day long and get terrific battery life with exactly the thinness and who really appreciate how much thinner it is and lighter to carry around. Um, 
And there are people who are like what I would call new generation pros who they're, they're entrepreneurs or they're doing, they're doing a running a business. And to them, they, they consider themselves pros the same way that people old school would be like designers or renderers or anything. And you also have the other end of the scale where you have people who almost see like Apple is taking fire from on high and giving it to the masses. And how dare these people yeah. be pros? Only what I do is pro. And there's assholes on both sides of that argument. But in the middle, there's a bunch of people being underserved. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I appreciate that frustration frustration of, wow, they used to make a machine that had plenty of ports that I used and now I can't get one unless I buy like the old, you know, you know, I can't get the new one with the ports that I use and I'm stuck using these dongles. And I thought Uh, about it too, because I've always had to use dongles. Like I had to use DVI dongles and firewire dongles and all sorts of things. But I realized the big difference here is that US, USB was never one of the choices they had to make. It was always the fringe stuff that I yeah. used dongles for, like Thunderbolt or something. And USB is something everybody needs. So now the dongle is everybody's problem and not just the nerd niche sort of problem. Yeah. I, it's, you know, I, I used to roll my eyes at people barking about SD card slots because I was yeah. shooting with a Canon and I had a CF card, so I needed a dongle anyway. And then I bought a Fuji yeah. X100S and I could just plug the SD card right into my MacBook. And it's like, hey, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. I'm not angry that they don't have SD card slots on the new ones, but I'm kind of glad that I'm still using one that has one. Yeah. <laughs> so you anyway. You need it until you need it. Anyway, yeah. I do think you're right, though. I think I trust Apple to listen. I also know that, you know, <laughs> there's an awful lot of people at Apple itself who use MacBooks, including, you know, people like Tim Cook and Phil Schiller, who if yeah. their keys get stuck, they're going <laughs> to... They they might bring it up, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely. So I, I have and also faith. their whole all their engineers and all their software and hardware engineers use MacBooks every day and they need right. them to work. I also think, and I'm kind of excited about it. I think that Apple could appreciate that. Hey, we didn't hit it out of the park with the first Touch Bar, and and you know I it, you know not to call him out, but I think I think Marco Arment on. Uh, the ATP had said like his wish would be for Apple to say, you know what? We tried it. It wasn't a good idea. We're, we're, you know, next MacBook pro, you can buy it fully spec. You don't have to get the lowest end one. You can get any of them without it. I would rather see Apple say, you know what? Wasn't good enough. Let's make it better. Let's do one. Let's do a a 2.0 touch bar that people do want to give up the old style function keys for. Maybe, yeah, may, I mean, it's maybe, interesting because maybe with a hardware escape key. No, but <laughs> which it's I super don't think because... is a ridiculous idea. Which I don't think is a ridiculous idea to have a button on the top right for Touch ID and an escape key on the left, and just do the Touch Bar in the middle. But that's the thing. So you could also you could just call it the home button if you want to make it super friendly for people. It doesn't really matter. But right. is t- is Touch ID long for this world? Like if we go to right. Face ID, right. does that disappear? And that's the most right. compelling part about the Touch Bar. Like I, I use the Touch Bar um, as a shortcut because I can I can just swipe right. across Safari tabs faster than I can actually find the Safari yeah. tab I want with the keyboard. Yeah. And there's all sorts of things that I can do that's just quick on it. But I use that Touch ID thing all the time. Right. Um, I did I did too, super and it was it was the single thing I I, I hated giving up from the review yeah. unit that I had. But I also think now, several months into the iPhone X lifestyle, that there's no doubt in my mind that uh, the Touch ID is not long for this world. And yeah. on uh, a MacBook in particular, it seems t- yeah. Face ID would be way, way more better than 
touch ID than it even is on the phone. And I clearly think it's better on the phone. But in terms of like getting an angle and uh, working with, you know, being completely, uh, I want to say ambidextrous, but, uh, you know, not not biased towards the right side and your right hand. Uh, I mean, Windows Hello works now without any of the technology Apple's applying right. to it. It'll, it would just be a fantastic product. Right. And, you know, it's you've got some time when you open a MacBook and, you know, there's some time there where Face ID can already register you. Yeah. Where it, it, you know, unlike the phone where you can make arguments about which is faster by the stopwatch, it should clearly be faster on a MacBook opening it from a closed position. Anyway, I, I, so I think it's funny that to me the best part about the touch bar uh, system on the current MacBook Pros is the Touch ID sensor, which I think is likely going away. I don't know when, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I want to move on to the iPad side of things, which and I yes. think it was a very interesting year for the iPad Pro because I think we saw, you know, the most serious attempt at an uh, making iPad running on or iOS running on iPads more like uh, uh, several steps closer to what would this be like if it was primarily for iPads and not secondarily yeah. for iPads, like a, an iPad OS rather than a, right. a vanilla iOS. Right, and I liked all of the ideas. I liked the 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 I liked the list of problems they were trying to solve. Uh, it all seemed there wasn't any aspect of it that I would think I, I say and I say this, you know, guardedly because I don't use an iPad Pro for a lot of work. So I'm judging it sort of as a tourist. But I liked it, you know, and as a you know user interface critic. But then as time wore on and they settled in, I still think the biggest problem isn't that they didn't come up with good ideas, but that it still doesn't go nearly far enough. In terms of things that I find so convenient and so quick and so easy to do with almost without thinking about it on a Mac, which feel like I'm doing surgery on somebody with chopsticks when I do it on an iPad. Yep. No, I ran into, I was working on iPad uh, Pro. I used it when I, when I travel a lot and I was working on it the other day and I was trying to get the images off of Apple's newsroom and what I couldn't just... Uh, touch on it because it's got that uh, over effect where it will give you the mm-hmm. this, the social sharing stuff. And then I tried to download it and it was a zip file. And I could have opened an app to do it, but I just realized that using Apple's default tools, I couldn't use Apple's default website. And I pulled out and I just got upset and I pulled out my Mac and I did it in three seconds. Right. Um, and those sort of problems that can that need to be solved. Uh, and as much as people talk about sort of adding parts of iOS to Mac, like touchscreen Macs, it's much more interesting to me to see Apple continue to bring up uh, the iPad and consider things like we've got basic trackpad support already, but what happens if they make the surface of the smart keyboard uh, capacitive and you can move your fingers over that in lieu of a trackpad, for example, if you don't want to touch the screen? I think there's yeah. a lot of ways they could take that further. Yeah. Uh, the p- precision mousing gets me. I, I, I have a long list of things that, that w- the, if I use an iPad Pro for an extended period of time, eventually make me get itchy to go back to a Mac. And the lack of precision mousing, largely for text editing, is is you know is high on the list. Um, yeah. So I really hope that this but wasn't like Apple's. Okay, you guys want some Pro features in iOS for iPad here? Okay, now shut up. I really hope it was more of a first step 
in a multi-year process of doing making significant strides in that regard. Um, and I still feel I like it was like. Uh, I, I also still feel like there are some aspects of that interface that are problematic. I still, I, I, I've been suspicious all along of the lack of an indication of where keyboard focus is. You know, let's say you have two apps up, split screen. I kind of, I do like the tidiness of like split mm -hmm. screen stuff on iPad, uh, being like it's perfectly fifty fifty or perfectly two thirds one third, and you know, and then I look at my Mac and I see this jumble of overlapping windows, and and there's a tidiness there that I like, but it's like I, I cannot believe that that in this interface you have two apps up side by side. You could be typing in either one, and you don't know which one you're typing in until you start typing. I, I find yeah. that crazy. Or you go waste a step. To, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, it, it's, I think to me this was a second step. Like we saw iOS 9 take the first step when it introduced the split screen stuff and they were working on drag and drop for a while and couldn't ship it in iOS 10. So they shipped it in iOS 11. Um, and, you know, again, they have a certain amount of resources and they'll, they'll focus those on certain features and maybe we'll get more with iOS 12 or maybe we'll have to wait and it'll be every two years we take a big step forward in iPad. But I think it's inevitable that we're going that way. I think there was a sort of a difference of opinion inside Apple as to whether iPad should be left as an incredibly... Right approachable device for mainstream people or whether it should be allowed to be um, a more powerful machine for pros. And I think there was a second disagreement about whether it was just adopting Mac uh, tropes or whether it was rethinking them. The way like, like drag and drop on iPad is, is not just porting over to the Mac drag and drop. It was rethought. And I think that's the side that, that's gaining traction is that it should be allowed to be a pro, but we're not going to just make it a Mac. We're going we're gonna to make technology evolve in a way that makes sense to iPad. Can I tell you, I spent some time over the holidays using an iPad more specifically for this reason that I was taking a break, you know, break from the podcast, doing less work, you know, trying to, you know, have a holiday, a real holiday. And you know what, you know, it's, it's a good device for that. And, you know, I felt like I wanted to spend more time with it, but I'll tell you what, the drag and drop thing really gets me because let's say I want to uh, tap on something in Safari, like a link, and I want to copy it. And you used to just tap and hold and you'd get a little pop-up and then you tap copy. And now you tap and hold and it jumps up off so you can drag it and you have to wait longer before I can copy. Uh, whereas on a Mac, I would just uh, control click or two finger click on the link, depending on, you know, whether I was using a, um, and it would, and the copy, you know, the menu of options yeah. to do on this link would be instantaneous. So the old way on the iPad was a little bit of a wait, which annoyed me from my want it instantly Mac instincts. And the new way is an even longer wait. And it's one of the tricky things that I think people don't think about when they think in vague yada 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 terms. Ah, I'll bet Apple's just going to unify all this in one OS. Right? Yes, <laughs> uh, And you don't think about things like if you just tap your finger on the screen and move it, what happens? Does it scroll the view like in a Safari window or does it select the text, right? So when I click in a Safari window, I click and move my finger. It selects text instantly. No wait, no modes, just selects. Uh, how do you do that on a touchscreen so that you could select text instantly or uh, double click to select a word instantly, but still allow you to touch instantly to an instantly begin scrolling? It can only do one thing. And I think it was yeah, a good decision. A lot of collision. 
a lot of collision. It can only do one thing first. I just don't think people think about that. And those delays, like waiting to get the copy menu, just to copy a link that's right here that I would have copied a, a whole second ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that second feels like forever. Well, no, there's like this weird, there's weird mutation of Fitz's law that I find with pressure sensitivity and, you know, Fitz's law for people who aren't familiar with it. It's like the, the, the easiest way that you can get to an area on a GUI, like the throw distance. Uh, and for me, it's like there's the pressure for Fitz's law. It's like the harder press, the harder press is the easier one. If I have to stop and do fine manipulations, like that's why I hate floating, um, floating capacitive screens because uh, it's just hard to float your finger without touching the screen but it's easy to jab the screen and when people aren't certain i feel like they jab more and then on an iphone you risk like if you just want to make the stuff jiggle in the old interface you would have to hold it and not press hard if you pressed hard you do 3d touch that's not what i wanted you let go you do it again oh god 3d touch again and this is the same thing i just want to copy this oh god it's floating now oh i want to I, I let go i'm floating it again and i just want to copy it and, and you'd start getting frustrated with it and it's not like it's not like it's it's easy to do that fine control for everybody, and it just it ends up feeling like it's just over like the, everything the whole system is overloaded. Yeah, I, I so I, I I I really do feel as a high end, you know, where's Apple going? What Apple did last year? I really feel like I I mean it's already too late if they haven't been doing it all along. So it doesn't really matter if people at Apple are listening to us. Um, like nothing's going to happen between now and June if they haven't been working nonstop since last June on what iOS 12 could be on an iPad. But boy, I sure hope that there's engineers and designers at Apple spending as much time being frustrated by the things that are difficult on an iPad as I am. Uh, and, you know, I think conversely, I think, boy, boy, oh, boy. And one of the reasons that I, as a somebody who just loves the Mac, hopes the Mac has a bright future for a decade or more to come, uh, isn't really looking personally to switch to an iPad Pro. Uh, but, boy, the reason I really want it is, boy, is, are they nice hardware devices. Yes. Really, really. Like, uh, uh, you know, for all the complaints we just ran through about, pot, you know, things people like or don't like or prefer, don't prefer about uh, – the current MacBook lineup, um, and then downright problems. Boy, oh boy, is the iPad hardware just yeah. amazing. The display and and the being the first thing to have true tone and the lightweightness and the new speakers and that the are promotion. Yeah, and... promotion and I mean, really leading the way in certain hardware uh, regards above and beyond even the iPhone and the you know that arguably the best product uh, hardware product apple ever has ever made it's really remarkable and the, the a series processor in those makes the core m's in i don't know until doesn't call them core m's anymore but yep. that's bs that makes the core m's cry like yep. it, you can see the money to jump off the tables well do you like, you know on you that it. point on that point have you seen the battery life that these new microsoft machines uh yeah. windows machines running arm processors are getting like yeah. that to me is the uh, uh, hey? Where the hell is you know something's got to give here? Like for all of the just internally looking at Apple's products speculation, and and even if you only look at Apple's products, it sure seems as though Apple ought to be inching closer to releasing MacBooks that have A series processors. Microsoft released these new or a Surface clamshell iPad, yeah, or a clamshell iPad, one or both. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, it's it's, but the uh, the new Windows Surface machines running the full version of Windows, not like RT was when they yeah. first tried to arm, are getting like twenty hours of battery life. Like, 
Yeah, yeah, and, big and like, batteries in there. And people are, you know, out in the real world saying, yeah, I, I actually have been using this for three days nonstop and haven't plugged it in yeah. once, and I'm still still not in the red. Like 20 hours, no joke, battery life. Uh, there is no uh, There is no Mac that gets that iPads don't get it either, but that's because of how lightweight they are. Apple could easily make an iPad that weighs as much as an iPad from a few years ago that gets 20 hours of battery life. Um, that yeah, or is, put the battery in the keyboard, I mean, which is what some of them do. Right. Uh, you know, iPads – so I, w- I would say iPads right now, iPads and iPad Pros, get that amazing battery life. Even if the number is 10 hours instead of 20, It's that's by design. Uh, at this point, given – iPads and now given these ARM-based surfaces, there is no Mac book made that you can say gets good battery life. It's only good for Intel, the Intel world. It's no longer state-of-the-art, and I think that's a problem. No, totally agreed. And I think, like you said, I, I don't think the solution is going to come from Intel. I think the solution is that they've got to move to ARM. And they've, I mean, anecdotally, they've had ARM uh, MacBooks or ARM clamshells running iOS or macOS ported to ARM for years. They just haven't pulled the trigger on them. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody after I think after the uh, the Intel transition a decade ago, I don't think <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> I don't think anybody is ever going to not believe that there are versions of everything Apple has running on everything Apple has, right? <laughs> Maybe if, there's not. If a blogger or podcaster can conjecture right. about it, Apple has the resources and and money, certainly, to uh, right. prototype. I mean, certainly clamshell iOS device. I, I can't believe they don't have it. Certainly, Mac, Mac OS compiling on ARM 64, uh, I, I can't believe that they don't have it. I'd be, I'd be flabbergasted. The only thing no, I would I think... think it, that was actually public. There was a, it was an was intern there? who did it, and then he published the paper on porting... Huh. At least a, a part of Mac OS to to the ARM stack. The only thing I would was, question is I don't know. Do they secretly have a version of iOS running on x86? I don't think – I don't know that they'd even waste no, time with it because I'm not yeah. sure that there's any – is there any scenario where they could see that being a thing? I, I don't think. Yeah, that would be seeding – that would be going backwards almost from Apple's traditional desire to control their stack. I wonder, though, I remember when I was at uh, uh, Barebone Software, and I forget which compiler was which, but they, it was like during, you know, earlier 2000, 2002, and uh, I think BB Edit was still being compiled with uh, Code Warrior, but they got it running, compiling cleanly on GCC and Xcode 2, one thinking it was the right thing to do for the future, I could be getting this backwards, but there were at least two. It was at a time when there were multiple compilers that professional Mac users could choose from, and Barebones had always kept BB Edit running cleanly on both because it was just good practice for your source code. You know that you don't want to mm-hmm. get trapped into something like that. You know, and I think you know that was what the the Next crew did coming over. You know, where Next was this portable operating system that ran on uh, originally it ran on the Motorola sixty eight oh forty, and then they got it running on Suns spark or whatever the hell it was and then they ported it to x86 and they had this same source thing that could compile across all this and then when they needed to port it to power pc when apple bought next it was that you know at least going through the source code and getting it to compile was an issue so maybe they have ios compiling on intel just for 
that, but I, I doubt or it. Maybe they have Apple x86, so there's AMD x86. Yeah, so yeah. They've experimented with that. Ooh, that would be neat. Uh, yeah. What else year in review? I, I feel like we've talked so much about iPhone in the last few months yeah. that there's it's just a rehash of recent episodes. But I think that the iPhone is in a great place. I really do. I, I think iPhone 10 is a is a rousing success in every regard, yeah. hardware and software. Uh, I, I couldn't be happier with it, and I really think it's it's to me it's the best proof that Apple still has it, whatever it is, even if it's not there across the board in every product. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's just it's phenomenal hardware, really really great software and services integration, and it's it's absolutely not perfect, but it's one of those things that it makes it, it makes me feel like the future of phones. It's like when you saw that original iPhone or you saw the iPhone 4 and you go, "Oh yeah, I know what the next like the next few years of iPhone are going to be." And this gives me that this feeling like Yes, it's the first version of, of Face ID and the first version of OLED and all these things. But I, I, I'm excited because this is like a whole new generation of iPhone again. Right. And they absolutely nailed that from just the point of view of making that next generation product. Right. I, I feel like, you know, it's, you know, the, it's the oldest story in the bo- world that Apple's key is that they do the hardware and the software. But I think it's yeah. interesting that to me, their most important hardware on the Mac side is the MacBooks. Like you said, that's about, that's what don't, some people, that's the only thing they consider. Um, yeah. And so as cool as the iMac Pro is, and it's really cool that they've made a really awesome pro computer that's a desktop, uh, I think it's a real problem that the hardware, the keyboard, and maybe some other things, uh, or maybe just the fact, like you said, that there's not a wide enough lineup, that there isn't a, hey, yeah. here's more ports and a thicker one for pro- pros of a certain need. Um, so you've got the hardware problems on the MacBook. You've got... The OS, which is just isn't truly thought through for productivity for the iPad, you know, so you've got fantastic hardware, near perfect hardware yeah. for what they're trying to do with software that still conceptually falls short. And then it, you've got the iPhone, which I think is really the epitome of Apple, where they've got super great hardware and a really good, really good OS. Yeah, absolutely. Uh iPad Pro. I mean, I think it was a good way to end the year. And like you said, it's obviously it's you know desktops are for a niche, and the iPad yep. Pro is for a niche within the niche. But boy, is it you know Apple said you know it was interesting earlier in the year when they had a couple of us out there to say, look, Mac Pro, we're we're we've got something. It'll be a while. We're going to have an iMac Pro. Uh, we love the Pro market. We hear you. We are the Pro market here within the company. Uh, and it was great to hear that. But, you know, the proof uh, is in the pudding. Or the, what, what's the saying? Well, you need it. It's sort of like like you, like you some companies just have to make a hypercar. You have to have that Lamborghini, that Ferrari, right. that, um, that Veyron, you know, you, that Bugatti right. on the top because it's, it's, it's aspirational. And the iMac Pro, it's not going to have the market that the, the MacBooks have, but it doesn't need to. It just needs to be sitting there showing that Apple can make amazing hardware and making people interested in Mac. Yeah. Maybe you won't go and buy that, but you're like, Apple makes kick-ass computers. And if you don't think that, you start looking elsewhere. Yeah. So well, it's important for the overall halo to have those machines. There's a new Acura commercial I've seen over and over and over again during football games the last few weeks um, that literally does that. It just starts with an NSX roaring yeah. around a racetrack corner and they're talking about the technology that they've put into it and then it you know turns into a, a honda accord or something like that and then to a honda civic i forget i forget if they're all accurate or if it's a mix but you know somehow making the argument that the consumer family you know twenty three thousand dollar 
uh, or whatever an accord costs these days. <laughs> I have no idea, yeah. but you know, a very typical pop top selling family car benefits from the technology and advances that the NSX, uh, you know, super race car, uh, you know, has even if there's no way in hell that a family of four is ever going to buy an Acura NSX. Yeah, totally. But you get the advantage of lower yields and higher price points, so you can experiment more, and you can right. rush. You can you can shake out that technology, and then it does filter down. Yeah, and I think that the excitement with the iPad or iMac Pro, uh, you can tell I'm getting punchy from the length of the show that I'm mispronouncing. Sure, I'm using the wrong name for more things. Uh, the excitement of and the frustration before the iMac Pro actually shipped is the not just that there are people like us who want that sort of race car computer from Apple and who used to buy them and still need them and want them. Yeah. It's the knowledge that Apple's current stat state, their financial wherewithal, their custom chip making wherewithal is that if they set their minds to it, they could do a better job than ever before. Right. Yeah. That's the first, it's not just that you want Apple yeah. to make a pro computer. It's that, you know, that if they really wanted to, they could do something that would be mind blowing like yes. the iMac pro, which has all of this performance and really, really struggles to uh, work itself into enough of a lather to have the fans come on unless you open drag things about box. Not drag thing, uh, peak out. <laughs> See, there I am. There I am yes. making mistakes, mixing up, <laughs> mixing up my James it's all, Thompson. It's all James Thompson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure drag things about boxes is not a CPU or GPU stressor. I don't even think it's red. No, I don't think he's put AR kit into that yet. No, but but drag thing will do it. Anyway, Maybe tomorrow he'll have that done. That's my summary of the year. Anything else before we we knock this off? No, I I, I think that's spot on, and I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, again, Apple is the richest company in the world, but they don't have infinite resources. There's a limit to the amount of people who are willing to work in Cupertino for the amount of money that Apple pays rather than the allure of startups. And they can't focus those people on multiple products. Every product they focus on is a product that they can't focus on at the same time. And that's why I think we get, you know, if it's not our favorite product that's getting the attention, we get super frustrated. So it it took them a lot to get the iMac Pro out and it meant we couldn't get a Mac Mini and we couldn't get a Mac Pro. But hopefully as those machines come out, you know, they can increase headcount, and they have increased headcount, but it is yes. – it, and money alone – and money alone can make salaries go higher, but money alone can't increase the number of A, talent, designers, engineers, people there are in the world, right? Like yes. the Apple – one of the biggest constraints on Apple – it's always been – it's good, and it's a constraint on every company, but – Talent is an enormous constraint because it's there's only so much of it in the world. And Apple can't do what we want Apple to do without A-level talent. And I think and some you have of the, these problems because you, you can't – like not everyone who's an A-level talent wants to work in Cupertino or at Apple. And also once you scale it, you get a whole bunch of other – like well, I think the biggest problem facing Apple – um, and I wrote about this at the end of the year, is scaling. That it's hard to take a company that was built the way Apple was built with small teams that focus on solving specific problems and scale them across now four platforms and product lines that include Mac and iPad and iPhone and Apple Watch and AirPods and everything else that Apple is doing. And just adding people to that doesn't fix it. In some ways, it makes it worse. You know, uh, one thing I've heard <laughs> is, you know, to go circle back an hour to there to why is airplay too late is yeah. that maybe it wasn't exactly the a team <laughs> that was working on airplay too and that's not because apple wouldn't want to put the a team on airplay too but that 
if the entire A team is already working on projects that are deemed essential, there's, you know, if the best you've got are the, is the B team to put on AirPlay 2, that's, that's, that's who gets it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and you can't put the A team on everything. Again, right. like you put them on iPhone. If they're on iPhone, they can't be working on, on iMac. Right. You know, it's, it's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, my thanks to our sponsors this week, uh, Squarespace. Well, let's that's, that's do them in order. Let's, do, let's keep them in order here. We got, uh, we got Casper. You can, buy, you can buy an internet or buy a uh, mattress on the internet. We've got Away. You can buy a suitcase on the internet. And then we've got Squarespace where you can buy an internet on the internet. <laughs> uh, Renee, well, thank you. Everybody yes. can follow Renee on Twitter at the uh, Renee, at Renee Ritchie. Uh, you could see his fine work at imore.com on a daily basis. And for your listening pleasure, <laughs> his rejuvenated vector where I've been, I, I've been a guest. I was a guest a few weeks ago yes, with Renee Ritchie. So if you missed it, if you like listening to me and Renee talk, you can go look up the episode of vector where we were down, uh, joined by mutual friend, Daniel Jowkett. Um, and where do you go? What's the best place to go to get information on the podcast? For the podcast, just vector.show. Uh, and for the column that goes with it, imore.com slash vector. Vector.show. That's a pretty good domain yeah. name. I love these fancy new domain names. Yeah. Very cool. Very memorable. Anyway, go check out vector.show. I think people are going to like it. You're doing it. Uh, Renee's doing it on a daily basis, a weekday basis. Yeah, I do it like five days a week, and I'm probably insane, but I'm I'm trying to make it work. I think it's interesting. I thought it was nuts when I heard it, but it it's not you know like this. It's not two and a half hours, no. uh, uh, five days a week. It is a little bit more like it's tighter. It's you know uh, in a way that you know there have long been radio and TV shows that are five days a week, and they're shorter and more focused. Uh, and I think that's kind of an most inter- of them are super short. It's I like think an audio version of my column for accessibility. Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting thing to do with the podcast form, and I think that uh, a lot of the podcasts I listen to are in the form of my show or like an ATP, yeah. whether once a week or once a week ish, like mine, uh, but long. And I think filling the gaps in your what's up next and uh, Overcast with. 10 or 15 minute mini things is a really, really interesting way to, to play with the form. So I, I'm oh, enjoying it. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I do feel, I feel almost feel like for as long as we've been doing podcasts, there's been less play with the form than we did with the early days of the web, you know? Absolutely. So anyway, my thanks to you, Renee. See you next year. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>